Welcome to Visionaries Global Media, your number one source for podcasting entertainment. Visionaries Global Media, envisioning excellence on a global scale. This is Band from Ringside. Tonight on the Band from Ringside podcast, your full, full gear recap. NJPW's power struggle. We talk about the Wednesday Night Wars. We do our NXT TakeOver do-over of Chicago 2 and Ooh, buddy, it's a doozy. That and a whole bunch more tonight on the Band from Inside podcast. Ditch that nine to five. It's time to feel alive. Hello, Mark. So welcome to the Band from Ringside podcast. As always, I'm your host, Bill Vagey, a.k.a. James Handerbeek. <laughs> <laughs> and to my left, as always, we have JC Cornelius Bell. What's going on, JCB? Allows to bow our heads as I read from the latest edition of the Band from Ring- Ringside podcast, volume 181, chapter 3, verse 14, and the good smart saith, Hashtag boo the heels. It is all good, baby. Listen, share, subscribe, repeat. Shout out to everybody that watched uh, last week's episode on YouTube. Over 600 views on YouTube, which is absolutely ridiculous. I looked at it myself. I don't know why I was looking at YouTube yesterday at work, and I came across our YouTube page. For those who don't know, Band for Ringside Podcast on YouTube. I saw last week's episode over 600 views. It damn near floored me so thank you for all those who watched us on youtube pass the word wow. around to those who haven't so like i said listen share subscribe repeat and out there Thanks, mom i think it was my mom 600 times yeah <laughs> he is an only child uh, out there in edwardsville illinois we have two beers zach pullman what's going on two beer uh not much uh, i have two beers in front of me and um uh, I really like that James Handerbeek, uh, a.k.a. He was the star of uh, Scott Dawson's Creek. Varsity Blues. <laughs> Scott Dawson's Creek. <laughs> That's very good. Uh, we have a bunch of stuff to talk about. We've been, you know, we missed Zach last week. Zach, has it been, did we, did we have two weeks in a row without you? Did we? I, I don't, I, no. it's hard to tell. Like, everything, like, I feel like we did. Together. Anyway. We missed you last week. Uh, you're back. I know. We, I felt that... like uh, Hangman Page <laughs> in the Elite, you know? Just like odd man out. That, uh, that NXT TakeOver do-over, uh, I watched it a while ago, and uh, it's it's a burner, so I'm excited to do that. Uh, before we get too far into it, we're coming at you from cloudy, overcast South St. Louis right now in my... Uh, in my dope ass basement. I mean, it's really cool down here. Um, little man cave. You know, when you're watching uh, House Hunters, it's like, oh man, I need a man cave. <laughs> That's what this is for me. Um, That's why don't you great. tell us about F and B Eatery, Jason? Let me do so. F and B Eatery on the corner of 3453 Southampton and Marquette, home of the greatest smash burger you've never heard of. I'm still waiting for you, jokers, to slide into these DMs and let me allow you to grace. My presence to yours with a gift card or two. Come on into the DMs, Band for Ringside Pod. Yeah, BFR JCB, BFR Bill, BFR Zach, all lowercase letters with an H. I got a $20 gift certificate with your name on it. All you have to do is let me know where you live. I will personally mail that joker to you myself. Like I said, I walk down some stairs, make a right, make another right. There's a mailbox. It's good to go. 
So do yourself a favor, slide into the DMs, get yourself a gift card, and then go on over to F&B Eatery and tell them that Ban from Ringside sent you. Let's get it started. This is Ban from Ringside. Oh, wait. No, I hit the wrong one. Let's get to that three count. One, two, three. I'm not drunk. <laughs> At least not yet. Not yet. All right. Let's start it off. Uh, we're going to do a little bit differently. We do it chronologically, but in this case, we're going to switch it up just a little bit and talk about Full Gear on Saturday night. AEW presents Full Gear, a loaded four-hour show. Um my biggest takeaway from it, personally, was probably the opening match. I know the tag team match is the one that most people are focusing on, which, for good reason, I think it was absolutely amazing. But for me, I thought the curtain jerker set the tone for the rest of the card when you have Page versus Omega. Winner is the new number one contender. And they came out and... Just let it go. Some of those V triggers looked a little stiff. The uh, spot outside where Kenny uh, bounces off the stage, that was stiff. I thought it was absolutely amazing. And I thought that, obviously, I think they did the right thing by letting Kenny go over here, prolonging the Adam Page story. I think that was really well done. Obviously, the tag team match was probably, like I said, the one that most people focused on. And without question, I don't blame anybody at a certain point when they were doing tributes to the great tag teams in the past. I thought that was very well done. The finish was just, you know, mind-blowing. You could tell. It was perfect. You could tell that they put serious thought into it, and it it couldn't have been much better than what it was. It was was damn near perfect. I, I, I hate to say perfect because I don't think anything in this world is perfect, but if there's something that was, this was damn near it because it literally told the story of the rivalry in about 25 to 30 minutes. From there... Um, I'll keep that in mind that you said nothing is perfect when we start doing our NXT TakeOver do-over later because I'm interested to look at some of them star ratings. Two Beer, what did you think about the Hangman Page Omega match? Uh, it was great. It was a G1 match, you know, essentially. And uh, what I liked about it is that they didn't go out there like trying to steal the show. They went out, they went out there and had like this really awesome opening match that told the story they wanted to tell, and it was a really good match. And they were in and out, and you know, like fifteen minutes. And you know, it wasn't like you think whenever you see those guys come out because I I didn't know the rundown. <clears throat> you know, I tune in. I'm like, oh shit, this is going on first. I'm like, that's a bold move, right? But uh, yeah, they just. Um, had a really solid match. I loved the story. I loved, um, you know, that that little struggle for the one winged angel at the end. Um, it was just fantastic. And uh, I'm excited to see where this goes. And the coolest part is these guys got together and we were like, oh, like these guys kick ass like together. And this is cool. But we all know that they're just together so they can break up and have this cool feud. And like now that they're broken up and feuding. I'm like, oh man, I can't wait till these guys get back together. <laughs> that <laughs> and, is like, the, run rough the the plight of the wrestling fan right there. <laughs> right. Uh, I obviously I love this match. For me, it's the first match, except for maybe the one against um, Chima. Is that how you say his name? Shima. Shima. 
Except for that, except for that one, it's the first time that we've really seen Kenny. I know that he fought Ambrose, but that was a different kind of match. Like this, like you said, this it was a lights out match or whatever. Right, this was an NJPW style match. If they, if these guys would have gotten another ten minutes, there's no doubt that it would have been a five star classic. It, it been damn I mean, near an instant classic. I think it came in at sixteen and a half, which is you know that's what you want for the curtain jerker, like you said. But man, given the time. These guys would have put on an all-time classic. There's mm. no doubt in my mind. Well, I was commenting. I was going to say because you know Paige is going to get a title shot at some point, and then that's when they're just going to let them let them go and and have one of those matches that we're kind of waiting and anticipating for. All right, what's next, Jason? Uh, like I said, from there um, we can jump to the top where Moxley retains the the title in the I Quit match versus Eddie Kingston. Um, not too surprising for me, but it got a little uh, cringeworthy when they broke out the barbed wire baseball bat and Eddie Kingston took a part of it and wrapped it around his hand and tried to uh, basically maim John Moxley with it. I thought that was, uh, even though it was predictable, it still told a good story. It made me get into it in certain spots, so I, I have to uh, tip my hats to them. Obviously, we talked about the uh, the tag team match a little bit. Um, Sheeta retains over Nyla Rose. Um, I guess Nyla and Vicky Guerrero are going to have some sort of beef. It just, it was okay. I don't want to shit on the the women's division too, too much. Uh, for me, the next biggest uh, takeaway from it was the start of my golden prediction coming to play. Uh, MJF defeats Jericho in a little, I won't call it fuckery, but let's call it smoke and mirrors where we distract the referee to get the pin. So MJF now officially in the inner circle as of last night on the way to Vegas for next week. I, like I said, I think that's going to be an amazing ride. I still wish that Sammy Guevara would have been the one to face off against Jericho or face off against MJF to have the right to get into the inner circle. But that's my personal fancy booking. Speaking of one, Sammy Guevara, he loses his match against Matt Hardy in the, uh, I guess it's the ultimate deletion match. Um, for me, this is power cleanser. I think we, we kind of all know where we stand, where I stand on matches such as this. I was glad it was a cinematic match, so that way you can kind of get what you were looking for ultimately. And it looks like they're going to put this thing to bed, even though on Wednesday night, Hardy did call out um, – Sammy Guevara for a little bit, but gave him begrudgingly props for sticking when sticking with this feud. But ultimately, I'm, I'm a little disappointed because I know it's Matt Hardy's bread and butter. This is his match, but I don't think it would have done any harm if he would have ended up losing this match. Sammy Guevara got himself over. He's been getting himself over with this whole feud. But for me, I wouldn't mind to see him winning this particular match, but neither here nor there. Zach, thoughts on any anything or everything? Uh, I think the tag team match was maybe the best tag team match I've ever seen. I was watching it again when you guys called for the, it was the third time. Um, it was just an ode to tag team wrestling. I mean, it was just so perfectly done and so smart. And the psychology of the match was so much better than the buildup to the match because the buildup was like kind of hit and miss with the Young Bucks kind of doing that weird heel stuff. And I didn't really catch on to that. But then they come in here and they're like, let's do a rundown of the past 30 years of tag team wrestling in one match. Right. And 
we're gonna do this like incredibly like smart match. It was it was awesome. I loved it. And um, the other match that I particularly loved because I mean Moxley and Eddie Kingston was cool, but it, you know it's just bonkers, like violent. Um, MJF and Wardlow had a fun story, but like it wasn't like a great technical match or anything. Uh, but Darby Allen and Cody Rhodes, that match was killer. And Cody is kind of playing heelish, you know, champion. He's like doing that, um, you know, he's got a big time in Darby, you know. Push-ups in the and, ring was the one thing that stood out in my mind. Yeah, for sure. And it Darby's like super fast and he's able to, you know, outmaneuver Cody and he's flustering him and he keeps rolling out and having to like consult with Arn. And then they do the the spot that never ends a match, you know, the, the, the roll up to the roll up and they're rolling around the ring and then he gets one and it one, two, three, it's over. And it was super cool because that spot rarely ends a match. Like, especially in WWE, you don't really see it that much um, or anywhere for that matter. So it was a nice pop, cool story. Um, you know, Cody hands him the belt and, you know, gets down on one knee and then Taz comes out and is a heel and ruins it. But I, I thought that was like, outside of those two standout matches of the tag team and the Omega page, like that thing overachieved. Uh, and also Orange Cassidy, uh, John mm-hmm. Silverman. I was like, just, those, I was thinking those guys, those guys overachieved too. Like if there was an actual audience, that match would have gotten over huge because both those guys are so over, um, you know, watch being the elite and stuff. And like they, they have such big personalities. It's, it's so cool. Um, Cody Darby Allen was great. I mean, it it was really awesome. I I love Team Taz. I am really coming around on Team Taz. I like I like having factions. Really, I I wouldn't think you would have been a Team Taz guy. I've always liked Taz. I like I like the dynamic of having Taz as the talker and just these two guys. One of whom is this massive behemoth <laughs> leviathan the walking wall and ricky i like ricky starks too i i just i like team taz i like them as a foil for darby allen you know what your favorite part of them is is that they beat up darby allen <laughs> That's your favorite part. i mean oh we'll get to we'll get to win tonight Dynamite <laughs> later. um okay so it, it was a spectacular pay-per-view i'm going to come in and be the wet blanket on a couple things here okay um the first one being the tag team match, and there, this is probably a product of me already knowing who had won by the first time I saw it, and I watched it twice. I watched it one time, kind of banged up. I watched it today again while I was working. Um, obviously, those guys can fucking go. My problem with the Young Bucks sometimes is that they get a little too cute. It's just a little too cute. And the going through 30 years of wrestling thing, doing everybody's finishers, it's just a little too cute for me. It didn't seem, I mean, there, it, it seemed to, like, it, it's, you know, it's like, uh, it's like Ricky Jay says in Boogie Nights. He goes, that's, he says to the chick who's licking the thong as they introduce videotape into the world of porn, he goes, hey, that's really good technically, but it lacks passion. I want to see some passion. <laughs> that's how I feel about that Young Bucks match. Like, it was really good technically, and I think that the Revival are great. I just thought it was a little too cute. Now, that's that being said, of course, I'd still give it four and a quarter stars, four, four and a half stars. It was fucking spectacular. 
But from everything that I heard coming into it, they're like, everybody says, this tag team match is going to blow you away. Best tag team match you've ever seen. And honestly, I, I thought it was really good. I think that there's been some NXT tag team, takeover tag team matches that have equaled it. Okay? That's number one. Number two, and you guys, I, I don't know if you guys are going to like this or you're going to hate it. MJF is bad in the ring. MJF is slow as fuck, especially for a 23-year-old. He moves, he lumbers around for a little guy. He, I, I understand he's not in there for his technical ability, and he's in there because he's a great character, and he's great on the stick, but that match was not good. And I like how when everybody's talking about full gear, they just kind of, and I'm not saying this about Zach because Zach glossed over it, but Zach glossed over it and said it wasn't a technical masterpiece. Other people just aren't even talking about it. They're only talking about the storyline aspect of it. That match was bad. Thoughts, Jason? Uh, we'll start with the tag team match first. Um, I get it. I don't necessarily agree with you on it. I thought the the old to tag team wrestling, I thought that was probably one of the highlights of it. Um, Cash Wheeler doing the 450. It was just supposed to be this dream match that everybody's been waiting for with FTR and the Young Bucks, and they decided to use that time to do this tribute to 30, I don't know. It just seemed exhibition-y to me instead of two guys trying to win the two guys trying to win the belts. I don't well, I think with the stip, that was already kind of built into it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it was do or die for the Bucks, whether you like the stip or not. I think, like I said, I get why you're saying that. And if they, if it was already built in to be a rematch, which I'm sure it will be, maybe you could have did this old to tag team wrestling the second time around. Fair enough. The match itself, I thought was really, really done well. And like I said, for me personally, that spot of finishing moves, the old to tag team wrestling was one of the best spots of the night. Okay. Now, the second part where we're talking about MJF and Jericho, I wasn't looking it for it to be a technical masterpiece. I disagree with the fact. What do you want MJF to be? He's not Darby Allen. So, I mean, if you look at him like this, you're going to get a certain type of wrestler. This is the wrestler that is a character first, wrestler second. So, I'm not looking for him to come out and have this Brian, uh, Daniel Bryan, you know, technical masterpiece. I'm not looking for Zack Sabre Jr. I got what I was looking for in the sense of it continued the storyline. MJF is not a great wrestler, okay? He is a, a great character, okay? And that, to me, is the more important thing. So you got to kind of look at it for what it is. Chris Jericho now turning 50, I'm not looking for him to be bouncing off of everything, but I mean, hell, he did the lion's salt, he did the Frankensteiner off the top, which was absolutely fucking amazing for 49 at the time. So, I mean, I get what you're going with it, but I I, I got to push back on a little bit with the MJF thing because you're th because of his size, you're, you're kind of pigeonholing him into this particular type of wrestler, and he's not Darby Allen, he's not uh, Matt Seidel from 10 years ago, he's MJF. No, he's a yeah, he's a manager. Uh, please, uh, tell, no. tell me I'm tell me I'm no, wrong. Man. Tell me I'm wrong, Zach. Tell me how stupid I am. MGF, no, it's not that. I mean, like you're not stupid. Like uh, you're one of the smartest guys I know. It's just Thank you have you. this really bad opinion of MGF. <laughs> 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 just like it, he 
is uh he is not like like Jason said, he's not Daniel Bryan, but like this dude is so good and I think he's really good in the ring and I just think that he wrestles a very and whether you like it or not, like he's wrestling like a a seventies, eighties like style of match, like in, in the ring. Like I'm pretty sure MJF probably watches more like NWA than he does like WCW or like Attitude Era, like WWF or like whatever. Right. Okay. Like, I I just feel like he that's I think the person that he reminds me of the most in the ring, and this is weird because they're both really great talkers and they're both larger than life characters. Um but uh one is definitely more athletic than the other. Like he reminds me of the rock in the ring. Like not maybe necessarily so uh I don't want to say like explosive or just like kind of like electric, you know, like the rock like really was, you know, that little <laughs> well extra pizzazz on every you know, he had a little extra oomph on everything. But like, you know, he you know, he's never going to the top rope, you know, he's doing abdominal stretches. I was thinking uh, more like know, Bob just, Backlund. Yeah. Uh, I mean like, you know, if you want to like go back and, you know, I think matter. he doesn't remind me of the rock at all. He doesn't. He, he, the the personality. Trying modern, the, I'm trying. Yeah. I'm trying to come up with like a modern example that like some people would know. Cause if I, even if I say like Ted DiBiase, they're going to think like a million dollar man, but like Ted DiBiase was like so much more like before he was a million dollar man. Agreed. Um, all right. All you right. just have to like spend the time to go back. Anyway, I think he's better than you're giving him credit for, especially because he's younger. Maybe. And just cause he's young doesn't mean he has to do flips. I think he will be one of the greatest wrestlers we've ever seen like in 20 years we're still gonna be talking about mjf and there was somebody talking about the time that he told you to not get wing sauce on his jacket (laughs) (laughs) little fucker i was about to say bill's having a little seizure over here give him a second i'm not asking him to do flips that's not what i'm saying at all i'm saying he is slow in the ring he doesn't really run the ropes. You know what? You know what modern wrestler he reminds me of. You remember when John Cena used to do the five moves of doom, and there's always that spot where the guy does a really wild swing, and it's really slow, and Cena ducks it right before he puts on the fourth move of doom or whatever. That's what MJF looks like all the time. He like he barely swings through, and I'm not looking for them to put on a five star classic, and I'm not expecting Jericho to carry the weight. Jericho Jericho has proven him. Jericho has more than proven himself. That's the, the understatement of the day. Jericho has proven himself as a good wrestler. What I'm looking for is a guy that doesn't look slow, but a guy that looks kind of athletic. That you know, it's it's not. Did you ever think that maybe he wrestles in the '70 and '80 style? And that's because that's the only way he can wrestle. Does anybody else on the modern wrestling landscape wrestle in that 70, 80 style? I'm sure we can figure find that out. I mean, as much off the re- top of your head. Uh, well, I'll say yeah because I mean, there's way too much wrestling out there. Be- off the top of your head, name a guy that wrestles. I mean, there's like aspects of it that people incorporate. I don't. I don't necessarily think that people. Encapsulate, like you know, for instance, like uh, the FTR, right? They that is a perfect example because they're totally an R for some modern stuff, yeah, yeah, except for that 450, right? Except for the 450, except for the four, except for the 450, except for the 450. From the thing, if MGF did a 450, you'd be losing that match too, right? Like that was the story, deviated from their their, no fist, no flips, just fist, yeah, yeah, but MJF couldn't do it. Are we sure? Oh, I'm sure. 
I don't know. He just did a song and dance number the other week. We wait, wait, Cash Wheeler did that 450. Did you not just did you, even though he missed? By the way, I don't know which one's Cash Wheeler and which one's the other. At one. the very end, when the <laughs> dude got up on the top <laughs> rope and did the 450 no, and missed, I don't remember which one it was though. It don't matter. My point is that this is something that is not a realm of what they do. So when he did it, I'm like, oh shit. He did a 450, even though he crashed and burned. To me, that was more important than him actually hitting the move because he was doing something outside of the comfort zone of what they normally do. Fair enough. I think it's, I think it's incredibly smart because, like, the dude's way less likely to get injured, which in, which in his career is more than anything. I mean, modern Tanahashi doesn't wrestle like 10 years ago. Miz Tanahashi. is a great example of somebody that wrestles a 70 and oh 80 my style. God. Miz is, except Miz, Miz, except is... Miz can't wrestle. <laughs> Miz, Miz my is, opinion of Miz is like Bill's opinion of MJF. Well, oh no, my God, Miz is so much better in ring than MJF. It's not even oh close. God. Wow, you have eyes. It's wow. not even close. They're the, really literally the same guy. They're great talkers and at least passable in the ring. At least passable. Oh, Miz is way better than passable. In the what? Ring. That's, what's that's, his, what's Miz's best match ever? Ever. I'll give you Dolphin uh, Miz for the uh, the Intercontinental Championship. I'll that's, give you that. I mean, that's exactly what, what I was going to say. Is, whatever the shortest one is, that's the best one. See, you ain't shit. Um, anyway, I'm not here to – and we're not here to litigate Miz versus MJF. It's just a fun conversation. And I'm not here to, to shit on this pay-per-view either because – It'd be hard to do it. Honestly, I think it's the best effort that AEW has put forth thus far as a pay-per-view from top to bottom. Hmm. Strong words. Okay. Um, and also, I I should also point out, I like the story that they're telling with MJF and the inner circle. In fact, dare I say, I love it. <laughs> and I don't want MJF to go anywhere. It is important to remember, though, that he's 23 or 24 years old. And even though we have these prodigies now, like Tyler Bate and Pete Dunn and Velveteen Dream and guys like them, and Velveteen Dream's not even on the same level as the other two that I just mentioned. He has it's down. important to remember that most wrestlers don't really get good in the ring until later on. Okay, so let's... 28, 29. So I, let's kind of give him a little leeway. If he's that slow, then maybe he, he will improve in... Well, that's what everybody does when they get older. They get faster. Um, <laughs> really give myself a little pat. This motherfucker here. Um... The Eddie Kingston Moxley match. Uh, I have become an Eddie Kingston Mark. He is maybe the best talker in all of wrestling. Arguably, he's he's in my top five for sure. And uh, that's the first big match that I've seen him in, and that's probably the big. I mean, it's the biggest probably match the of biggest his match life. Is yeah. And I thought that he was great. I thought that they told the story. I thought that uh, you know his facial expressions were great. I loved it. I loved it a hundred percent. What do you think, Zach? Oh, yeah, I mean, it was awesome. Like, we went in there, you knew it was going to be a fight. I like that they didn't do the microphone in the face kind of like, do you quit, do you quit, do you quit thing? Like, you know, Ric Flair, Terry Funk is like the classic example of the the best I quit matchup. Yeah, I was about to say, that's one of my favorites. Um, But they didn't do that. They just went in there and, like, beat the hell out of each other until one guy quit. And I was watching it at work, like, when we were cleaning up, and my phone was there. And I'd like ducked out for a second. I come back, and my buddy's like, 
dude, this guy's got a bat with a rapid barbed wire up against this guy's face. <laughs> that's not surprising. I love when people that don't watch pro wrestling on a regular see something like that and just like, oh, shit. <laughs> you're like, yeah, yeah, Darby Allen wears a thumbtack jacket now. <laughs> That's what they do. It's no big deal. Uh, Jason, any other thoughts about full, uh, full, I keep wanting to say full sale. Uh, Any other thoughts about full gear? Um, John Silver, I I thought I'm coming around on that. It might actually get me to start watching BTE because now I'm kind of curious of where things go from there. So I might watch that on the way home or not on the way home when I get home. Um, This was a solid pay-per-view show. There's no question about Uh, it. It was an A. I can't necessarily disagree with that. I mean, it, it's it's going to be really hard to say otherwise. And even with the knocks, with the women's match and other matches included, I, I can't necessarily disagree with that. The storylines that were presented really take precedence over what happened in the ring. I'll tell you what, when it comes when it comes time to do the beefers, this is going to be on the short list of pay-per-view of the year. I mean, no doubt. Oh, yeah. No doubt. I can't necessarily say I disagree with that. I, I mean, I, if if we get a pay-per-view better than this. Shit, it better hurry up because they say we got about seven weeks left. Zach, any final I thoughts? I don't know, guys. Survivor Series is Stop. looking great. Oh. oh, man. It's brand versus brand. It's the Stop. only time of the year it happens, Stop. guys. Stop. Brand versus brand. Stop. Stop. Y'all niggas need to stop. <laughs> <laughs> right now. Stop it. Uh, what, uh, Zach, any final thoughts? Uh, no, I think it was an A. I give it an A also. I agree. All right, let's get to that. Two counts. One, two, three. Two beer. What's the two counts? Uh, Saturday, November 7th, we had Power Struggle in New Japan. Uh, So this was a six-match, seven-six-match card. And um, one of those, like, you know, interim shows between G1 and – Tokyo Dome this year. Traditionally, we have, uh, you know, this happening, uh, G1 happening much earlier. Uh, but so this is like kind of time to get some angles for the Tokyo Dome. So we're, we're starting to set up matches and Tokyo Dome is going to be January 4th and 5th again, which is why we see some of the booking that we see in this show. So uh, opened up with Toriano beating Zack Sabre Jr. with a out, typical Yano fashion, tied his shoelaces together. Just for the record, I didn't see this. Uh, the boys didn't remind me of it. I need to be reminded of things like this. Uh, what are you like, fucking? Um, no, I got the reminder on my phone. I just forgot to watch it. Um, but that sounds great. Toriyanu defeating Zack Saber Jr. My two favorite Japan New Japan wrestlers. Jesus Christ, <laughs> fucking retarded. God, I hate fucking Yano so bad. I mean, it, to see, this is what I'm talking about. This is the shit I'm talking about right here. Okay, ain't no way in the world that Zack Sabre Jr. should be using, losing the Yano. No way in the world. Zack Sabre Jr. should have had this Joker tied up on the ring post within five fucking minutes. But yet and still, and I don't get it. Do people not watch Yano matches? I mean, do you not understand what he's going to do? This is the guy that's going to tie you up against anything he could possibly do. He's got tapes of a rolls of tapes everywhere he fucking pops out and the next thing you know you can't the referee can't find any of this shit he's pulling it out of it literally 
every orifice of his fucking self. And the next thing you know, Zack Sabre Jr. loses to fucking Yanu. Give me a fucking break, dude. I'm over Yanu. And this is the reason why I'm over it. Because half of it is so WWE. I don't come here to watch this shit. I know where I want to go, what I want to watch. Ridiculous, nonsensical booking. He's heating up. I go to WWE. I don't come here for New Japan. For New Japan, I want to see people get their ass handed to them and see who is the best. Sounds like Zack Sabre Jr. got his ass hand to him. Fuck you. What was next, Zach? <laughs> uh, next was uh, Minoru Suzuki and Shingo Takagi. And okay, see, there you go. A couple times recently, and it's always good. Uh, these guys beat the absolute shit out of each other. In fact, there's a moment in the match where Suzuki might have gotten Like, uh, New Japan is not like uh, other promotions, so we probably would never find out was actually concussed or knocked loopy or if they are just that good of workers to where they worked all of us well you, <laughs> you know you know how uh you know how suzuki has all those like lines in his head he has all those weird lines in his head you know like oh, yeah and you know how like a tree has rings for every year that it grows uh, every time Suzuki gets a concussion, he gets another one of those lines. <laughs> God damn. You ain't supposed to make no jokes like that. Chris Benoit is rolling over in his grave. Concussion, uh, an angel gets its wings. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like but, this. Uh, uh, I like the Shingo match, honestly. Uh, I thought this is one of those feuds where I can watch over and over again without even a problem with it. Uh, I was a little surprised, honestly. That Shingo ends up going over and, and wins the uh, the never open weight title back, but I thought this was classic Shingo and uh, Suzuki just getting it on. Yeah, for sure, uh, really great. So yeah, he wins with the Last of the Dragon. Uh, then we had uh, Okada versus the Great Okan, and this was pretty much a uh, make or break for Great Okan, right? Um, you got your hot angle, uh, you're the gatekeeper to Will Ospreay at the Tokyo Dome. And you're back from an excursion, and it's time to have a good match and show yourself, you know, to the Japanese audience again. Um, and I just, I didn't, I wasn't feeling it. It was fine, but I tell you what, uh, there's a couple young lions now that I would rather see in the ring with Okada than the Great Okan. Like I just, I don't know if it was Great Okan's like style. Or what? But I feel like if you can't have a banger match with Okada, you can't have a banger match with anybody. So, no, uh, I, Okada wins. With, with no, go ahead. Club. Yeah, Okada wins with the Money Club, and it just didn't do anything for me. Like, I'm, I'm not going to write him off or anything, but I feel like this was the time to shine, right? No, I agree. I, I was. This is one of those Roman Reigns, Jey Uso kind of matches where you knew how it was going to end, but. You know, how we were going to get there to me was the ultimate question. And then, you know, this is not a knock against the great Okan. I mean, you knew why he was there. But ultimately, this was his chance to to kind of get himself over. And he didn't do anything for me differently that made him stand out against arguably one of the greatest wrestlers in the world, given that opportunity. For me, at that point, it was more about setting up the, uh, the Osprey-Okada match for Wrestle Kingdom, which is an obviously now official so i agree with you the match was was okay but i found myself having a hard time trying to stay invested in the match especially when you kind of knew how it was going to end and then just the the performance itself was not just not very good i mean let's just call it for what it is 
so yeah, uh, chalk one up, uh, another one up to the money clip, and uh, then we have the first of two briefcase matches. So we have Kenta and Hiroshi Tanahashi. So Kenta successfully defends his uh, United States uh, Championship contract uh, against Tanahashi. I mean, this was a solid match. Like both these guys, like um, are fantastic. I'd say both are past their prime. Uh, but both are still incredibly capable of putting on great matches. Um, I mean, Tanahashi is a living legend. and Yeah, a living le- legend tapped out, which was, the, to me, the biggest surprise there. I'm going to say I, I wasn't sure that Kenta was going to keep the briefcase, but I was expecting a little fuckery, you know, maybe Bullet Club getting involved, but a clean tap out, That's to me, that was the biggest takeaway from for that match myself personally outside the fact that yeah. Kenta is really fucking funny and if you don't if you haven't watched any of the backstage uh, comments from uh, Power Struggle in the last couple of uh, shows finishing it up Kenta's really fucking funny I mean you wouldn't you wouldn't think he would be funny but I swear he it just blows my mind how really funny he is you don't get to see it in the ring, you get to see it in the backstage comments. And like I said, if you get a chance, check it out. Like it's, I think it's worth the 15 minutes to check. It. Would you say he's like uh, Yano funny? Or would you say he's like Santino funny? He's like Santino funny. <laughs> okay. All right. It's not cool. It's not physical and I, I can't believe you answered that seriously. <laughs> <laughs> I was completely fucking around. <laughs> No, it's the truth. It's more Santino Morello funny. It's all. It's more talking. It's more about you know running people down. And like I said, check out the backstage comments. You see what I'm talking about. But apparently there was a uh, a skit where he would run down one of the cameramen pretty much throughout the G1, and then that spilled over into the Power Struggle tour. And it's like I said, it's one of the funniest things I've seen in a while. Dude, Zack Sabre is hilarious too. Like, Man, oh, dude, Zack Sabre Jr. doesn't get of, enough credit. Part of the reason, like, I don't mind Yano beating him like that is because of the hissy fit you right. see him throw. Yeah, I was going to say to see a grown man flail around like that, there's something to be said about it. So yeah, so it does. It does make me giggle, but I'm still, it goes back to the same premise. Fuck Yano. Uh, so then we had a second uh, briefcase match. This is Jay White versus Kota Ibushi. For the IWGP Heavyweight and Intercontinental Double Championship Right to Challenge contract. Never before has this contract gone undefended. Uh, and never before has anyone beaten someone for this briefcase. Uh, Jay White pulls it off. So lots of, lots of fuckery going on. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, this is a Bullet Club match. Um you know, they went about 20 minutes. And hold, on, hold on, hold on. Jay White beat Ibushi? Yes. Jay White beat Ibushi. So... Whoa, hold on a second. <laughs> I did... It was one of those where it happened. I'm like, what the fuck? I'm just, <laughs> I'm just sitting here watching wrestling, waiting to get to the segment where I get to talk a whole bunch. <laughs> You're telling me that Jay White took... Jay White's now? Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Go ahead, Zach. Yeah. I'm sorry. No, you're fine, and that's my reaction, too, and I think this exists because of the two-night main event, right? Like, you need to sell two nights of tickets to the Tokyo Dome 
And even though you are selling, like, apologies for my neighbor's dogs, um, but uh, even though they are selling uh, limited capacity, they're still selling two nights at the Tokyo Dome. So they got to come up with two main events. So essentially, we have Evil versus Naito. Naito defends, you know, this is like how many times have we seen this goddamn match? One too uh, many. But at the end of it, the end of it, uh, Abushi comes out to like save Naito from the Bullet Club. And Naito essentially gives him his match. So it's going to be because uh, Jay White says, I've got this briefcase. I'm not working on January 4th. I'm going to let you defend it on January 4th. And I'll pick, I'll clean up the scraps essentially, right? I'm going to take the night off. I'll fight you on January 5th and take the belt belts. So Naito being, you know, good guy, uh, Ibushi just saved him. He's like, you know what? You won the G1. You deserve a shot at this title. Jay White doesn't want to work on the fourth. I'm going to give you a championship shot on the fourth. So effectively kind of kills the idea of the briefcase, right? And the G1, uh, it's, it's kind of weird. Like, I understand that they need to book two nights of this, and those are the realities, and this is the way that they chose to do it. But, oh, my God, I mean, the whole point of this grueling multi-month tournament is to get a shot at the Tokyo Dome for the IWGP championship. I mean, this is arguably the most prestigious thing in wrestling, right? And Abushi loses it, and the same night he's giving it right back. And yeah, booking, I, I don't love. I get what you're saying. But now Jay White also has a shot at it. So that G1 title shot is still out there and still in play. I, I get exactly yeah, sure. what you're saying. It does kind of invalidate – well, it definitely invalidates – no, I, I see what you're saying. It's it's not the cleanest booking, and you certainly don't want to uh, cheapen, like you said, the prestige of being the G1 champ. Uh, it, Jay White is out there with – so, I mean, essentially, Naito could lose, and it could be Ibushi for Jay White for the belt again. That's what I think is going to happen. I like, agree. That's my early prediction is Ibushi takes it from Naito, and then he has to defend it against Jay White. We already know that Jay White has Ibushi's number from the G1, from, um, you know, Power Struggle, and can he overcome the heel, especially because he's going to beat the fuck because we've seen these Naito Ibushi matches. Uh, but yeah, we'll see how it goes. But it was it was not as clean like Bill said as like we expect from Ghetto, right? And they're putting them in a tight spot. It's a pandemic. Why do you need two nights of the Tokyo Dome? We did it for the first time last year. It was a major success, but you can only sell so many tickets. I don't know. Uh, well, I'll just I'll just rewind the whole thing. Um, Evil and Naito. I'm I'm kind of glad we're done with this now. We told that story. Um, for me, the biggest takeaway from that match was seeing Jay White come out and trying to figure out who he was actually going to attack because I always kind of wondered whether or not Evil and Jay White were going to have a a Bullet Club inter-faction uh, feud going on, and it looked like it was going to happen, but then obviously Jay White turned on Naido to try to help out uh, his Bullet Club member. So that was cool in that sense, but I've – Outside of that, we've seen that match before on multiple occasions. I'm glad that Naito retained the titles. It was, was kind of a little dicey coming down the stretch, but he retains. So in that scenario, I'm, I get where Two Beer is coming from, but I don't necessarily have a problem with how we got there. Well, I shouldn't say that. I don't have a problem with 
the finished product. How we get there, okay, I agree with you on that. It kind of messes up the G1 and who it, who it favors. I shouldn't say favors, but the prestige of it, the whole nine, the book, and I get that. But ultimately, we're, we're at where we're supposed to be. Ibushi is going to get a title shot on night one. And I, I'm going to watch the fuck out of both those matches. And, you know, you know, Jay White is basically on the on-deck circle. So, I mean, at the end of the day, even if we even if Ibushi didn't lose the briefcase, we still get in the title match, and then we have the night two. You could add easily Jay White sitting there in the on-deck circle again for January 5th because he beat Ibushi. So, I mean... You know, and it's I get possible. It, but it's not that. It's it's not the end of the world. It's possible that they're giving him the quote unquote Daniel Bryan booking, where Abushi is going to beat Naito and then beat Jay White to ultimately it's going to be his. It's no it's different gonna, than what happened last year. It's going to be his Wrestle Kingdom. Yeah, and I don't have a problem with that. Was, we're, we're getting to where we ultimately the story is going to end where. Abushi is double champion. They're just, they're just even though he does, he's not even wanting to be double champion, which I think is another. They're just stacking the chips against him. Yeah, for sure. And it, but, but last year it was the same way, where Naito was the guy on the, basically on the outside looking in, and then he had to win two matches in back to back nights. Abushi's just gonna have to do the same thing. Zach. Oh yeah. Um, I we'll see how it goes, but was that the main yeah. event? I kind of said my piece. Yeah, uh, well, I don't. Um, was the main event? So. Ah, okay. Uh, and, and I mean, it was un- unremarkable, right? Like uh, it was funny because even before this, like if you watch the backstage comments, uh, Naito um, after like uh, the final night of G One, he's like, yeah, so it's gonna be uh, you know uh, me and Evil at uh, Power Struggle, and he's like, we've all seen this match. So he's like, if you guys want to skip it, that's cool. Yeah, I mean that that's ultimately <laughs> once he says that that's really all I need to know. Um uh, we 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 did tons of G1 coverage. I you guys know where I'm at on evil. Um so let's get to that three counts. One, two, three. Okay, the three count is the Miz and Morrison promo from Raw. No, I'm kidding. Three count is uh, the Wednesday Night Wars. Uh, we've already talked about AEW. We've already talked about New Japan. We're going to bring it to NXT. NXT last night was interesting and, dare I say, pretty good. Uh, it started off with Gargano uh, trying to break his streak of not being able to vent his belt they he spun the wheel he rigged it so he had to fight leon ruff leon ruff is a guy who's basically been the punching bag on the very very undercard isn't that what you'd say uh well I mean, he fights on he fights on main event he fights on nxt uh dark matches he gets he always gets beaten i was just gonna say for me personally i recognized him from evolve him and ar fox were evolved tag team champions for a while so I kind of knew what we were getting into with Leon Ruff, but ultimately I expected Gargano to retain the title. Damian Priest uh, distracts. Leon Ruff wins the North American Championship out of nowhere. I don't care what you think about this booking. The North American title is not prestigious. And having a guy like Leon Ruff go over Gargano to tell a story doesn't bother me at all. Doesn't bother you, Two Beer Zach. 
I'll tell you why it does, and it's just the way they did it. <laughs> the Gargano if, Mark speaks. No, no, it's not even that. Like, <laughs> I'm fucking with you. you wanna, if you want to have a guy like a like a, a low-level guy and you want to make a star in one night, you can have them beat Johnny Gargano for that belt. Absolutely. Like, that's that's actually pretty awesome. Like, that works really well. But he beats him. He goes up. The guy who should actually still have that belt, Damian Priest, puts it around his waist, and then it falls to the floor uh, and trips the guy up whenever he tries to go away. Like, the guy's a comedy act. Like, he's not a star now. And then we get in the back, and Damian Priest gives him his keys and has him run away, right? Like, dude, like, like Johnny Gargano is some kind of, like, you know, monster or something. I mean, like, Leon Ruff's, like, a smaller guy, but Johnny Gargano is, too. Like, it's not like, uh, you know, it's like Lars Sullivan or Braun Strowman or something where you got to, like, make sure the guy doesn't break you in half. Like, you just have – now you have this this guy who has this belt, and he just looks like a total comedy punk. Like, I just don't like the way they did it. You could have had – and, you know, maybe I'm biased, right? Um, Kurt Stallion could have come in, like, off 205 Live, could have spun the wheel. Kurt Stallion, boom, wins the belt. Uh, makes it, makes the guy a star, right? And then – Hell yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't have to be the way that, that it was. Yeah, uh, but I'm not saying the, the title's super prestigious, but it is their number two belt. Like, they're not trying to make a star out of Leon Ruff, though. They're trying. That's they, the problem. They could have. They, but they're not trying. Well, there's. Okay. I mean, I mm. guess that's, I guess that's, I, I'm, I guess that's fair. What do you think, Jason? You know me. I'm all about making new stars. It, it, this was. Full disclosure, I knew what had happened before I watched it this Cause, morning. Because Leon Ruff's your cousin? Yeah, because we're all cousins and we all know each other. <laughs> oh um, I knew what happened when... He should have another F&B burger. <laughs> he's the one that's meeting me down there. I was about to say, he's got the actual gift cards. Um, <laughs> see, you got me, got me fucked up. Um, this is what I was going to say. The problem with the Leon Ruff thing is... I'm all about making new stars. I'm totally for it. I just don't like the way they went about it here. He could have easily lost this match and just pushed Johnny to the limit and then have Gargano go over. If you're going to have Leon Ruff win, i just rather just keep the distraction out of it. Just have him, you know, pull out a surprise victory out of the bag. For me, once I saw Damian Priest, that was kind of a tip-off of where we were going to go, even though it wasn't too much of a distraction. It just... I don't know. I just I wasn't really feeling the execution. I'm with two beer on this one. I don't necessarily. It doesn't hurt Gargano because I mean it's Johnny Gargano. He can't. It, this is not going to knock him no, down. He's, he's Teflon on NXT and, yeah, at least. On NXT, he's totally Teflon. It just I I have a problem with the execution of it. It just feels, especially at the end where, like two beer said, when Ruff had the belt around his waist and it fell down. That's kind of main roster-ish to me, and that's where I was just kind of like, okay, see, now I'm getting a little pissed off about it. I'm Like I said, I don't mind Leon Ruff winning the title. It's just I'd rather it just be done in a way that's not too comedy-ish. I didn't even see that part where it fell down. Like, I guess I was flipping back and forth. It's a nice moment for a guy like Leon Ruff. No question. It's an it you know it's a it's a fun moment. It was a fun surprise when he went over. I was surprised because I wasn't necessarily into the AEW uh, curtain jerker last night, which was Side Allen Cage. So I was watching 
Gargano, who's my guy also. I'm a Gargano Mark also. I think the Gargano heel character is fun. He's doing as much as he can with it until they eventually, you know, him and Ciampa to me are like Zayn and Owens. They're they're always going to they're always going to circle back to each other. It just didn't bother me that much. They could have made another guy, but that's not the story they're trying to tell. They they still want to go with Damian Priest versus Johnny Gargano and Leon Ruff at least just gives him a little bit of rub in case you know he wants to do something in case they want to do something with him a little bit later. You know that's not going to happen. That's well, I mean, it's not like he's Tucker. Uh, we can uh, uh, okay, we, good point. We can go on to uh, Atlas versus Escobar. You know, a decent match except for a couple Atlas botches. Uh, Escobar, they really haven't let him cook yet. I don't know. Well, I guess this is. I'll speak for myself. I haven't watched 205 since the uh, the pandemic, so I, I can't really necessarily talk about what he does outside of NXT because realistically that's the show you probably want to watch to kind of get a better grip on what Escobar can can do. I just I don't think they really have a, a vested interest in this division itself. It's there to be had, but realistically, I just don't really feel – Escobar gets a lot of TV time. Well, he's the champion. He should. But, I mean, other guys that so, are coming up. So do his up, boys, though. Zima Ion and Raul Mendoza. Okay, but that's by, you know, default. Or whatever Zima. Um, uh, walking Zima. Wild now. Yeah. Um, but there's – it's a whole division that's linked to NXT. So, I mean, I'm waiting for to see more cruiserweight matches on NXT. At this point, I feel like I have to watch 205 to see those matches to then set up NXT and all this other nonsense. It shouldn't have to be that hard. I'm here to tell you, and Zach and I have talked about this, this is your intervention. You don't have to watch 205 Live <laughs> to understand NXT. You, you don't. For this aspect, I believe I do. Uh, Zach, any thoughts? Uh, I mean, nothing like too strong. I think uh, both these guys are mega talented, and I think they're both kind of being underserved, even though um, you know, um, the, the god damn it, what is, what is his name? I'm just blanking. Uh, Jake Atlas? Champion. Oh, no. Escobar? Escobar, yes. Uh, how did I forget? Um, he gets a, well, gee, you know, I wonder a good why. Of, <laughs> do you amount of t- TV time? No shit. Uh, you know, it's not it's not like a phenomenal story or anything, but I don't know. I just feel like he's underserved. Um, he's got a little posse and, uh, but I think he's got some like star presence. And I, agree. I feel like maybe getting him away from that cruiserweight thing would actually be good and put oh, him in a different position. I would say I, I would put money on Escobar holding the NXT heavyweight belt someday. That's fair. Cause I mean, I mean no, that, he reminds me of, um, Jesus Christ, what's his face? No, I, I haven't watched Andrade. Andrade. Yeah, yeah. I haven't watched all his shit, but everything that you read is that he's one of the best technical wrestlers in the world. And Lucha Underground is a great place to that, that's what to I'm, find. That's what I'm saying. They've never really let him cook, right? Like give him, give him. That's what I'm saying. 15. I mean, like Swerve would have been a great match, but now I feel like I got to go to 205 to watch that match. They don't really build the cruiserweights on NXT. So if you're in the cruiserweights or if you like Kurt Sally in front of the show, you really have to go to 
go out of your way. Love Kurt Stallion. Still have my still have his hand. <laughs> you really have to go you out of your way fuck out of me. <laughs> to go see the cruiserweights. And I don't think that it should have to be that hard. I think there should be a cruiserweight match every week to kind of build that part of the brand up. So that way when you have matches like Atlas versus Escobar, it's not like, oh, wait, this is a cruiserweight match. Oh, wait, how's this happening? I think it just yeah, should jerk be the more. curtain with a cruiserweight match every week. It's no, for hard. sure, for sure. So that way, you always have them on TV at all times. Somebody. There's a, a a few more things I want to talk about in NXT. Um, the first one being Raquel Gonzalez uh, calls out Zia Lee. Is it Zia Lee or Zia Lee? Zia Lee. Zia Lee. And uh, her guy Boa, Boa comes out. Raquel Gonzalez fucks him up. And then this old dude comes down, writes something on Boa's hand. It was, I I didn't know what to make of it, because dude, I'm glad I watched this sober because I was not sober when I watched AEW. <laughs> I was having a hard enough time. If I would have seen that, if I would have seen that stoned, I would have had no idea what was going on. Well, I did, and I still don't have any idea what's going on. I it, I'm at the point where anyway, it's something to keep an eye out for. Well, yeah, but I mean, okay. It's, I'll just say this: two things. Raquel Gonzalez obviously looks strong coming out of this segment. The Zia Lee angle too is now getting to the point where it's not making any kind of sense. It's all kind of like it's inferences. We have to make our own judgments of what's really going on, but they haven't even given us enough information or evidence to kind of figure out. Oh, this is what's happening. Oh, that's what's happening. It's just it's so nonsensical it's reminding me of the main roster and that to me is a huge problem well nxt there's no doubt that nxt has you know for lack of a better term fallen from grace i mean it's not it's not the same that it was a year ago and that might be because we watch it every week we watched it week every week we used to watch it every week i didn't i didn't didn't watch the week to week show every week no i'm sorry before we went to the wednesday night wars I watched it every week, and it's totally different. You're a nerd. Yes, I am. And that being said, I can honestly say that to Stop me. Stop answering the drops. I will pretend do what, pretend I, will do what I want. Pretend they're not there. I'm a grown-ass a man. That said, <laughs> I will do what I want. I just thought I don't like the fact that they, they're doing it this way. It could easily be streamlined to where it all kind of makes sense. And that's my biggest problem with it. It's the well, yeah, disconnect. It's just easy. Go ahead. It's easy go ahead. To see that when they went, they went from four to six weeks of booking because they would shoot four to six weeks at a time to week to week, and now they're they're you know they're reactionary. It's it's yeah, reactionary. reactionary. Okay, like for next week, we got EO and Rhea Ripley. Sorry, I'm gonna jump in front of you for that for thirty seconds. So, that's not a reactionary to what's happening on the other side, we could have easily built this thing up to be arguably one of the biggest women matches in NXT history. History. And now we're going to yeah. throw it out there for next week. Well, of course, because because they're doing two hours every week now instead of one hour on the network. They're doing two Of course there's a certain thing that I like That's to call NXT TakeOver that – Probably would have been a better stage. They for used this to match. do four a year, though, and now they're doing two hours every week. They're you can doing still do four a year. They're doing a hundred and four hours of television every week. And you can of still, course, it's going to be different. You can still do it the right way. One hundred and four people in that performance center, too. Like 
you know, even if one of them was on the show every single time, like they've got plenty of people. It's not a depth issue. It's I'm not a, saying it's a, a I'm not saying issue. it's a depth issue, but they are trying to get viewers. I mean, they are on USA. They did go to USA to go against AEW. Of course they did. But don't you think that NXT is bringing in more money now than they ever did on the network? Oh, I mean, it, it has uh, to be. Well, multi, yeah, I mean, multi, it's, it's they're bringing in probably 50 times more money. Yes. OK, but then you're talking about it from the business point of view. I'm looking at it as the mark point of view. I don't have WWE stocks, so that doesn't interest me in the slightest. From the from a Mark's point of view, I agree. I wish that AEW was on its own on Wednesdays and NXT was still doing its thing and NXT had four spectacular takeovers per year. Of course, that's what I wish was happening because, like we're going to talk about later, and the one that we're going to talk about later is one of the better ones, if not the best ones. Spoiler alert for this guy's opinion. <laughs> but a, a, anyway, anyway, we're we're off track here. Uh, Tony Storm versus Kance LeRae was good. LeRae goes over. Indy Hartwell. Indy Hartwell reveals herself to be the chick uh, in the screen mask. Tony got, Tony got one week. Yeah, right. Well, Dude, Tony should be on the main roster. She's so good. Dude, like, but I mean, this would happen on the main roster, though. That's what I'm saying. I mean, this is a precursor. Of could, what could happen? Money for doing jobs, you I know. know. Should be okay. paid for doing jobs. I guess. Like, I mean, they did the same thing to Ember Moon. Ember Moon lost last week. I wasn't on the podcast. Yeah. Real about that. But like, dude, I was pissed. Like, you give these girls one week. Both of them are like superstars to this audience and you're just beating them in the middle of the ring you like, know what, what the hell, man? thank you for bringing that up that you weren't here last week zach because i forgot to read off the <laughs> aew dynamite predictions uh jason and i were tied what <laughs> six apiece oh my god i must have really been drunk last week hell i didn't even drink i won every prediction no you didn't we had joey pick for you joey picked for you and joey <laughs> there were nine picks joey only got three <laughs> God damn it, Joey. Which is almost impossible. <laughs> Joey and I. <laughs> yeah, I was about to say, blame him for the one of these picks because apparently Bill Jedi mind tricked Joey in the pick. Joey, uh, Joey and, and I got work. We both picked Kingston. <laughs> I didn't even have to do anything. I, I don't even know what happened. I can't even. even. even I think I even said on the podcast, yeah. I go, why did I pick Kingston? Yeah, I was like, did. I just totally got worked <laughs> by that incredible promo last night. <laughs> Because it was such a great promo. It was. No, it really was. You actually picked him in earnest. You didn't pick him just because the other guys picked Moxley? No. Me and Joey both picked Kingston. They they picked first that week, and I I wasn't even going to fuck with them. But then they already picked Kingston at that point, and it was just kind of like, well, where's the fun in that? We worked ourselves into a shoot about how good Eddie Kingston's promo was, and, I mean, it was a great promo. It was a great promo. All I, have, all I have to say about that is that's Comedy Central, dog. <laughs> you got Jason spitting his beer out. No, no, I kept it. <laughs> no, we're good. Uh, Dexter Loomis versus Timothy Thatcher. Timothy Thatcher goes on. Cameron Grimes goes in and attacks Loomis. Let me go on the record here and say that I loved every single bit of this. God, I, why am I the, why I, am I the old guy I, in the room? I love Timothy Thatcher. I love Dexter Loomis. And I love Cameron Grimes coming in to fuck with them both. Zach, tell me I'm wrong. 
Uh, you're not wrong. Uh, this is the best Dexter Loomis I've ever seen. Fuck like, yes, yes. Yeah. Jason's so mad at us. You got, it's been you guys against me all podcast, <laughs> and now it's me and Zach against you. That's fine. Bring Fuck it on. You. Bring it on, dude. Give me a break, man. Dexter Loomis is the worst fucking hey. character hey. ever. Hey, let's ever. Hear, let's hear Zach. Go ahead. Oh, I just I just loved that it didn't have any of that like weird gymnastics. Like if you're a serial killer. You yeah maybe you draw some characters maybe that's how you get your your serial kills is like you you draw somebody at Six Flags and then you follow them home and you murder them I don't know uh, but like you probably don't do any flip dives before you murder them that's the weird thing about his characters um, I just liked that went and had a wrestling match Thatcher's cool though I like Thatcher oh Thatcher's great I like man. Thatcher okay I'm kind of a little upset that Finn Balor which apparently is going to come back next week. I mean, damn, how long has he, this Joker been out? Um, I'm a little upset that they put him against Finn so quickly, but ultimately, Timothy Thatcher has talent. MLW, I remember seeing him there, and now he's in the NXT. This is the guy that should be your North American champion versus Leon Ruff. Oh, you're not going to get an argument from me about that. Uh, okay, so finally... We get the Kings of NXT come out. Zach, you weren't here last week. Uh, Jason and I were singing Pat McAfee's praises. He cut a destructive promo last week. He almost equaled it this week. We talked about how Eddie Kingston might be the best on the stick. I'm not ready to say that Pat McAfee might be the best promo, but Pat McAfee is an incredible promo, and I do not want to like this guy no. at all. All at all. In fact, <laughs> that's I, exactly how I feel. I do not want to like him, and he's awesome. Like he comes out there saying they're the best four man stable <sighs> in the history of wrestling. Dude, Obviously, I literally was so like, old. my head was going to explode because I'm like, four horsemen, four horsemen. But that's that's why he's so good because once he said that statement, it literally like my head was getting ready to explode. But you talk quickly. about making it look easy. He makes it look, look easy for yeah. a for a guy that. Well, no, just, he does have his own talk show, so I mean, there's something to that. I mean, it's not no, like he tons. just. Go ahead. I bet Maury Povich couldn't cut a promo. Okay, he's got his own fucking talk show. That's what I was going to say. Ricky Lake that's probably what I was sucks on say. the stick. <laughs> that's oh, that sounded that sounded weird. <laughs> <laughs> you got to save that. Man. <laughs> That's good. That needs to be like a drop for 2020. So then uh, Birch and Oni Lorcan go out. They defeat Brazongo. Uh, Drake Maverick comes in and tries to cause some havoc. It looks like we're setting up for a war games in between Undisputed Era and the Kings of NXT. I don't know where Killian Dane and Drake Maverick fit into it. Zach, give me your two weeks worth of what do you think about Pat McAfee? Oh, I mean, this guy, it's like a... I would say rags to riches, like, but he went like just from riches to more riches because he's like a superstar in another sport. Uh, but he's the best transplant uh, from one sport to another as far as like natural like wrestling ability that I've seen in an incredibly long time. And just like being kind of as a star, like the guy's a pro bowler, doesn't mean anything to me, but I know it means a lot to. He's a punter, doesn't fans. mean shit. <laughs> That's mm. funny. Um, but I mean, the guy is just an absolute natural and, uh, bravo to him for making me come around and like, it. like you said, I did not want to like him at all. 
And now I look forward to seeing him every week. And he makes me believe what he says. Like, besides, like, the hyperbole of the best four-man group, like, that's obviously not true, at least yet. Uh, He says, this is the best show to be watching because we are on it right now. There you go. You know, of course it's hyperbole to say you're the best four-man group ever. But that's what, uh, you know, that's what a heel should say. Oh, I'm not saying at all, yeah. And you're also getting heat because all those people that watch NXT, they're 50-plus. They grew up with the four horses. (laughs) Hey, man. Hey, man. I'm sitting right here, dog. I ain't 50 yet. Chill not, out. Not yet. I, grew, I grew up with Fuck the you. Too, like your the, birthday's mine first. Mine was like the uh, Chris Benoit Mongo McMichael. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, so I was I was pretty young whenever Sting and Luger were in there. I remember it, but I was pretty young. Yeah. It, it, I mean, we are getting some serious promo work in the last year that we really that's really been lacking for a while, and I'm. You know, I'm talking about Ambrose. I'm talking about Pac, Pac, sorry, Eddie Kingston, fucking Pat McAfee. I mean, and it's weird to say Pat McAfee in that same sentence, but no, it's he's doing serious work. And so is Eddie Kingston. And neither of these guys were even on our radar until about two months ago or whenever Pat McAfee had Pat that Pat McAfee match. is the more, more of the guy that was literally off the radar. Also, I and also, then all of a sudden now he's on it. I also want to say that Taz is an incredible promo. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I also want to say that I just found out this week that Taz is Italian and not half black, which Why would you think blew he's me half away. black? Why not both? Well, I think there's reasons why not both, but, you know, there's, <laughs> there's only so much time on this pod. <laughs> what am I supposed to say? <laughs> <laughs> Go watch Jungle Fever, a, then you will figure yourself I'm short-circuiting. <laughs> oh, should I say this joke? Should I not? Do it. Is this offensive? No, I've been watching Fargo where they say that the Italians call the blacks Moulinans all the time, and I don't know. Is that offensive to a black person? Uh, yeah, I would probably say that's offensive. But, I mean, Chris, I mean, they say it on TV all the time, though. Is it offensive? If I'm not mistaken, it's offensive to you. Me, no. That's when I say if you the N word is the word that I look for. Apparently, what if you, what if you use a hard R on Mulan Mulan Yonder? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's game time now. Now I got to take this sweatshirt off. Or you're gonna get you some of these hands. <laughs> I think it's like it's supposed to be like eggplant, or it's what it basically translates to. So oh, I like eggplant. I don't know. Figure. Judge for yourself. Like I said, for me, it doesn't make and any you're difference. you're a cantaloupe. Yeah, uh, right. Okay, so sorry if anybody's offended. All of our new listeners on YouTube. Right. They're all, like, who the fuck is this dude saying <laughs> Mullion? <laughs> Not say 650 have gone down to 50. All right, so I don't know what you guys want to say about our AEW hey, Dynamite last night. So I was uh, I was pretty baked. I got a new cartridge um, from mm-hmm. uh, the dispensary up here and uh how long did you have I to wait it, i use order online and pick it up nice um i know 2020 it's awesome you guys but, keep uh, talking the funny thing is so like i got it and like it just hit different right so like i started taking notes 
because I didn't want to publicly tweet all this stuff, and it's probably right. a good thing. Because only, only about half of it makes any sense. Like, I made, like, handwritten <laughs> notes. And so, like, starting off, I'll just read off some of my things that I wrote. Uh, first of all, uh, I was really impressed that Tony Schiavone put over the Irish whip so hard during the uh, Cage versus Sidon. <laughs> <laughs> like, Gee, I wonder why. <laughs> Just like, you know, little things. I'm just like, oh, man. I'm like, you know what? Like, he's really selling that Irish whip. And, like, he just put it over so hard. Just, like, oh, yeah. You were Little bait. things. Oh, yeah. And then, like, here I am, like, sitting on my couch. Like, I'm mega overweight. I'm a couple beers in. And I'm, like, super high. And I'm thinking, like, you know what? Maybe Matt Seidel could just tone it back a little on the standing Phoenix <laughs> Splash. Like, <laughs> he does the standing Phoenix Splash. And I'm like, oh. I'm like, that's a little too much, Matt. <laughs> Don't be hating. <laughs> I, I know. I could never, I could never like pull that off. And then I was like super excited that Brian Cage caught him in midair. Yeah, yeah. That, on the uh, for the drill call finish, I, I thought that was absolutely amazing. Oh yeah, and then Ricky Stark. This is, this is one of my favorite parts of the entire show. And I don't know if I would have noticed it if I wasn't so like focused on what I was watching because focus. Good word. Uh, toxicity level but um like ricky starks like does his promo and then he says hit it like to hit the music and like everything in the studio is entirely silent like right and they don't play they don't Don't play play anything anything. i'm like oh motherfucker (laughs) yeah because i was waiting for his uh his theme music to play because he always like does the air guitar like uh Kyle O'Reilly or whatever when he comes yeah. out for his matches. So he was like, hit it. And he starts to walk away. I'm like, hit it? Anybody? Yeah. Brian Cage's music? No? Anybody? Okay. So yeah, it was no, it wasn't just you, trust me. I was focused as you were as well. And that was one of those things where it kind of just really stood out because it totally left Ricky Starks hanging. And as a Ricky Starks kind of guy, I don't want to see my boys hanging by any stretch of imagination. Yeah. I was like, I was like, am I crazy? No, um, you ain't crazy. So then, I think we had we had a we had a commercial break, so that was the first commercial break. Also, at this time, I felt like the show had been going on for like an hour, and then I just realized it was the first commercial break. Right. That, that tells that tells you how um, focused it was. Uh, yes, focused. Then, like Cody Rhodes's entrance, probably the most overwrought overdone entrance in all of professional wrestling. I still love, I love it. it. I was getting ready to say, don't even fart. Uh, I he, love it. He did spend a lot of time around Randy Orton and Triple H. Dude, I still, I love it so much. Yeah, it's like, fair. it's like, no, it's fair. like a Triple H intro, but he just does it every show. And I'm sure like Tony Khan's like doing the minutes and he's booking out the show and like, all right, well, uh, here we got to go three minutes to Cody's intro. Three? I was going <laughs> to say five, motherfucker. <laughs> but, um, the, you so know, you got you to gotta get somewhere in between The Undertaker and Darby Allen riding his dumbass skateboard down there. <laughs> somewhere in between oh. is where you find it. God, you ain't we'll, shit. We'll get to Darby. Uh, but, yeah, so yeah. Uh, Cody comes out, tries to cut a promo on MJF, and which is, like, super hot, right? As soon as he said, like, I've got this one loss on my record, I knew right where he was going. I'm like, oh, I was like, we're getting right back to Cody MJF. This is, like, the hottest feud in wrestling, right? Like, this is the thing that I'm, like, most invested in as soon as he says it. And then this woman interrupts him. I have no idea who this girl was. She said her name is Jade Cargill. Uh, She looks great. Like, definite, like, star presence. Uh, Her promo was, like, a little, seemed, like, a little scripted. And I'm just, like, here are my notes. I was, like, 
what is happening with this woman and Cody? Jade Cargill is her name. Lame intro from Cody at MJF, which is maybe the hottest storyline in the company. But then she made fun of his dick, so I popped. <laughs> and <laughs> I was like, she sounds mega scripted is all. And then while I'm writing it, I'm like, she said Shaq. Like, all of a sudden. Like, Who was backstage at Full Gear, right? Apparently, yeah. yeah. And then Brandy Rhodes come out and cuts the promo of her life, right? Like, just oh. goes off on this girl. Like, it was, it was a lot of fun. Go ahead, because I want to speak on that. You know what? I, I would just like, I want to see your I want to hear your perspective on it first. Well, I, I would just like to apologize to any of our listeners who heard what I said about using the Italian term for black person earlier. Uh, that being said, I don't understand what Brandy Rhodes is doing here. Brandy Rhodes has gone through four different characters in the last 12 months. I thought this segment sucked. I fucking hated it. If you're going to have Cody out there, it's a really strange way to introduce a character that nobody's ever seen before. Have her cut the most tough enough, terrible-ass promo that I'm not even going to look at you, Jason, because you're nodding, and I don't want to fucking play to you. I don't want you to have to cut this fucking <laughs> tough enough promo and then walk up and say Shaq and then have to have the announcer say it, and then Brandy Rhodes come out and scream it like Brandy Rhodes has never acted like that. So Brandy Rhodes is only acting like this because there's another black chick in front of her. I thought the whole thing was. Uh, I'm sorry. I thought it was embarrassing. I thought it was a terrible. I thought it was a terrible segment. I got to piggyback on that and agree. Um, when this Jay chick came out, my knee jerk reaction was she's the black Camille from NWA. So that to me was a good start. And then she spoke, and then it started to go downhill. You can kind of see Cody, you know, playing along with it, which is what he's supposed to do. But it just, it didn't do anything for me until she said Shaq. And then when she says Shaq, I'm like, okay, so what the fuck? So now we're going to do Shaq versus Cody? And I get it. It goes back to when he, uh, when Cody left to go do the, that TV show or whatever. It's more exposure. But that's WWE type shit. I had this argument online. It's got a real Carl Malone WCW. W tied to it. I had this argument. I tell you what, that shit did ratings, though, and that's all that matters. Okay. Like, and I I'm not defending the segment, but like the idea of Shaq, like that, you know, it's just, it's just, it, it, it's just like, oh, it'll market, do ratings. Right? No question That's about all it. That it is. No the question segment, about it. The segment did suck. Like it was amateurish, right? At and best. Well, that, Rhodes, that, that is, chick really sucked. I mean, Brandy Rhodes, if that would have been her character the entire time, I would have been fine with it. But like for her to completely switch characters from like cult leader to whatever that was supposed to be. I'm not even worried about that. To me, and this is just me as the person of color in the room, it just played to the the usual stereotype of, okay, here's the angry black woman, and now you're going to roll your head, you're going to talk this crazy shit. Brandy don't talk like that, okay? Brandy is actually well-spoken. But now, in this scenario, she goes to be the quote-unquote black woman. It just rubbed me the wrong way. I get it. If you want to go into K-Fape style, style, this is what you're supposed to do. You're pissed off because some woman is coming out here running down your husband. I get it. It just, the optics looked really bad and to the point where it 
it wasn't the Brandy Rose that you presented to us on multiple different occasions, whether it was the cult leader or other things along the lines. Let me ask you this. Do you think that Brandy Rhodes, her character before the other night, before Wednesday night, do you think that her character could have used the word facetious? Okay. (laughs) All right. Zach, have you ever heard Jason? He's making a face. Have Dude, you I want to J- come over there right now and fuck you up. No, no, it's not me. It's not me. That's my story, goddammit. Have you ever heard Jason's facetious story? Do you want to tell it? Yeah, that's why That's why I left. <laughs> we can cut this out right no, now. No, no, no. We can tell it. If you don't want to tell no, it. No, look, please. Long story short, what I was- What you hit me for, dude? Because you know how I feel about that story. It pisses I, me off. I'm getting ready to hit the- No, the, no, He's no. eating up things. No, it's about to, well, give me a second. So, uh, fr- friends of ours, let's try this again. This was many, many moons ago. Me and like six or seven friends of mine were having some drinks. We're going to- uh, a local bar, Harry's, if those who are familiar with the St. Louis area. I've and, been there. Okay. So, several times. Several times. Spent a week there one night. <laughs> I can see why. So, I might, have, might not have done cocaine in the bathroom. Yeah, know. yeah, yeah. That's par for the course. Um, some friends of mine were getting off work. We're having some drinks. We're going to Harry's for the 3 o'clock usual last call for St. Louis, Missouri. And I came in. And I was at the bar, and I'm getting ready to start ordering the drinks. And me and my friend Ben were talking, and I used the word facetious. I can't remember how I said it in the sentence. And there was a woman, Caucasian, to my left, and casually looks over to me and was like, I didn't know the black people knew the word facetious. So I kind of looked, so looked at her, and I'm like, okay, so I'm, you know, on a scale of, you know, kind of focused to really, really focused. I was leaning towards the really, really focused portion of our program. So I, it caught me off guard because I'm like, okay, this is is this happening? I mean, I'm, I'm pissed. But how pissed should I get is the ultimate question. So now a friend of mine hears this, Sherry, God bless you, Sherry. So she's God all kind of – Sherry. Okay, this is the worst person in the world to yeah. hear this shit. You know, Sherry. I yeah. mean, the she, last person in the world that needs to be hearing this. She had red hair. Yeah. So if you know any redheads, this you can kind of see where this story is getting ready to go. <laughs> she fucking flips Lots the fuck out. Lots of stereotypes out. running around. <laughs> right? <laughs> <laughs> she flips the fuck out. I'm like, okay, Sherry, come on now. We just got here. I mean, literally, we just got here. I didn't even have a drink in my hand before this nonsense happened. I'm like, we just got here. Let's not blow up my boy's spot. Everybody chill the fuck out. If I'm not mad, nobody else should be mad, okay? Don't get me wrong. I'm fucking pissed. I'm just not trying to go to jail at 2 in the morning on a Wednesday night trying to get some drinks before we go home, okay? That, to me, is the biggest problem with the Brandy scenario. It makes her look typically black, and that's not necessarily a good look for Cody Rhodes' wife. Yeah, I I mean – not not only that, but I thought the Jade Cargill person, woman, was it? I mean, she she was not ready to be out there. No. Either that, or she just no. got really fucking nervous. Which okay, like I which said, I, like, she had good star presence, like she carried herself well, but she didn't speak very well. Oh, as far she's as, like, hot. Her cadence. Yeah, with, I mean, yeah. She's without hot. question, also, like, she, she she seemed she she seemed very important, whether she's self important or whatever. And I'm like, she came out. And I'm like, I should know who this is, even though I shouldn't or I didn't. Yeah, because I mean, literally, then, she has that presence that makes her stand out. But 
A, I didn't know who she was, and then B, when she started to talk, you can kind of see where it was starting to go south, and I was waiting for somebody to, to and come then out. And C, I thought it was Brandy Rhodes. God, I want to fuck God, you up it. right now. <laughs> Come get this motherfucker. That's what got. He's going to kill me. <laughs> I definitely recognized like Brandy was definitely, right. you know, was definitely leaning into the stereotype, right? Right. And now time, I don't ha- at, the, at the same time, I also just thought it was very entertaining, right? And I thought Brandy like that's what she wanted to do, right? Nobody's making her do that. Like, Brandy is a powerful woman in pro wrestling, right? Like, she has a lot of power. Of and course. It's super cool to have, like, a female person of color in that position, not just because she's Cody Rhodes' wife, right? Because she's talented and she's smart. Now, and that's what she chose to do. And it's way better than the, the other stuff that she's, like, chosen to do and she does flip flop a lot between heel and face and it's just kind of it's not even flip flopping a lot between heel and face she's gone through like four different characters in the last year it's just it hasn't been very consistent with brandy Rhodes. i agree with that they, totally. they they need to find a character the thing is when i was watching that segment i'm watching uh cody and that jade cargill gal is struggling and i'm watching him and he's trying to sell it like, oh, who the fuck are you? But you can tell he's also kind of like trying to like, like uh, encourage, like, encourage her yeah. on, you know, like, hey, you're doing great. And that's not what you want to see if you're the audience. You don't want to see. I, I mean, anyway, we spent a lot of time on this. I, I want to hear Jason tell another story like that about when he was. <laughs> Discriminated against. Uh, got three maybe, hours. Maybe next time you can use the word eggplant. <laughs> hey, your cantaloupe. Uh, uh, we had uh, the butcher and the blade against natural nightmares. Uh, that was a pretty good match. I liked it. Inner circle inducted MJF. Sam Guevara did not show up. No, now, he showed he, up. No, he's late. He was late. CPT. Didn't get the email. Uh, we that had second two. email. Yeah, right. That, the second email. Spears versus Sky. A little disappointing. Um, could have been a lot better. Yeah, that, you know why it could have been a lot better? Because there weren't two Scorpio Skies. Scorpio Sky is so good, and Sean Spears is such a fucking hack. <sighs> hack. Wow. Totally disagree. Dude, I actually, I really liked the finish uh, because they were able to protect like Scorpio Sky and got Sean Spears over as a heel and also protect the entire AEW referee system because Sean Spears had that glove and they kept checking it over and over and then Tully slipped him the weight and then he did it and then he slipped it into his pants and so the referee realized this guy's out cold and he checked the glove again and it was gone and then he handed it off to Tully and they did all that on camera so like I just thought it like protected everybody really well, and I was like, I was fine with it, even though Scorpio Sky definitely uh, deserves more opportunities than Sean Spears. I feel like he's a more marketable person. Um, this is like an ongoing thing, and yeah, it, round two will happen soon. I mean, I think Scorpio Sky is a shitty name. Uh, I wish his name was Sean Spears. To be honest, I think that Sean Spears is not. He'd be like a porn actor. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, I don't think the Scorpio, Scorpio Sky is a bad name. Well, you Scorpio Sky. like Sagittarius Shadow? <laughs> well, we don't know. That's what pretty that's good. Like, <laughs> stop. That's pretty good. I like that. Stop. Don't I even like don't give credence to that. Stop. Okay. Eddie Kingston comes. Our, we have Ty, Ty Conti and Red Velvet. 
the less said about it, the Ooh. better. Ooh. Ooh. Well, yeah, I know she's hot. I know, I get it. I, am I skipping too fast past this stuff? Do you guys want to talk about this stuff? When, I, I'll just say this: when I'm trying to get to that takeover do-over. Ty Conte is is basically leaning towards Dark Order. That was the whole thing with that. Red Velvet is, I guess, loosely affiliated with the Nightmare family, so it kind of makes sense. The match was fine. I will say that I really love the Bunkhouse match, and that's like the last thing. Uh, besides besides um, uh, Kenny Omega and mm. his promo, and whenever they come out, he can't even be bothered because he's on the phone. And he's like, oh, yeah, you know, uh, you know, goodbye, good night, all that stuff. Thank you. Enjoy Dynamite. Right. Oh, my God. I, that popped me. But no, because here's it, a quick, quick, quick fan theory. And this is just me being tinfoil hat guy. We're going to get that match. Not we're getting it December 2nd on Dynamite, right? My tinfoil hat is that Kenny takes the belt, which I thought he was going to do anyway. Moxley quarantines and goes to Japan. I have not heard this on any dirt sheets. This is wow. my I actually texted the dirt sheets today. That tinfoil must be double thick. I know. I texted Brian Alvarez of Wrestling Observer today, and I was like, "Hey, do you think this could happen?" Uh, I'm still waiting on a response. <laughs> <laughs> you better keep waiting. Right. Um, no, I, actually, all bullshit aside, it's it kind of makes a little sense. I mean, at some point, even if Moxley's not going to be IWGP US champion, he's probably going to have to defend it. And at that scenario, he's probably going to have to cough it up. It kind of makes sense. Cough it up to who? At this point, it'll be Kenta. Kenta at the Tokyo Dome. Well, I'd be down with that. I would, I would have preferred December second is enough time between that and January four or five for him to fly over quarantine and wrestle something i'll say about aew dynamite and nxt on wednesday night is that both of them have a very good usually week to week they have a very good sense of what's important to where the last 25 minutes is always pretty much one segment whether it's a promo into a match or or something i mean it's usually a promo into a match or like a vignette into a match this week on both were great. You had Eddie Kingston cut a promo on his guys, and then Phoenix and Penta came out and had a banger. And these Shocker, guys, are, I know. These guys are brothers in real life, right? Or is that kayfabe? I think they are brothers in real life. They had they had a spectacular match with a bunch of pile drivers on the apron. I mean, really rough looking stuff, and. Uh, Pat McAfee came out with Kings of NXT, and then you had Birch and Oni versus Brazongo, which we already talked about. But you also had Pac come out at the end and get Eddie, Eddie Kingston's face. And it looks like we're getting a Pac-Eddie Kingston feud, which I got to say, guys, the potential for mic work on that feud is through the <laughs> effing roof. Uh, what do you think about that, Jason? If you'd have asked me a year ago, two years ago, if Neville would have been someone I wanted to hear on the mic, I'd have laughed at you in your face. The vignette they had the week before with him in isolation and then him coming out live this week has gotten me way more excited about his return than I have been about anybody pretty much this year. I just, I guess my problem is, are we 
putting Pac as the face? Are we fighting over oh, yeah. leadership of the family? No. It just, well, I mean, it, the way it kind of set up, it just felt like, you know, I'm coming back to, to take back, you know, Death Triangle, so to speak, which I don't see it happening anymore because you had Penta basically kicking Ray Phoenix out of the ring like, you know, some old news trash by the end of the match, and then that's when Pac came out. I don't mind the uh, the Pac Eddie Kingston match when it it will happen eventually. I just think that where we go from there to me is the question. I just don't know if this is. I don't want Pac to be a face. I guess that's my biggest point with this. Nah, I want him I, to be I tweener that. to heelish at best. This is presenting himself kind of as a face, and I don't necessarily want to see that. Two beer. What do you think? Uh, Eddie Kingston will be a super baby face sometime because we saw it at the end of this pay-per-view where you know you have this guy who everybody is behind because of his background and he just like is a tough bastard right and he's just not gonna quit but he doesn't see any way out so he has to quit he had to work hard to make himself a heel again when he came out right and soon enough I don't see any redemption for Pac. Pac's always going to be the bastard. Like, even though he has a babyface move set. But Eddie Kingston's going to be a top babyface. And maybe this is when they turn him. We'll see. That's two, like, hot takes from two beer in, like, five, ten minutes. I like that one, though. I Like, I think he's right there. That Kingston's going to be a face? Let's talk about him like he's not in the room. Because he's not in the room. Right? <laughs> I just realized I wasn't in the room last week when we got those 600 YouTube views. Trust me, neither did I. Oh, uh, that was all Tinder Mahal. He was, bringing, <laughs> right? he was bringing all his fans. I was going to say, all, everybody from Tinder came over and watched. Um, I guess my only problem with that is that who's going to be the catalyst? Who is that much of a heel? Who has that much heat that can flip Kingston from heel to being face? Pack. Shit, I feel like I feel like Moxley could have done it even as a face. I feel like Moxley could have flipped him I, face. I, I feel like as long as I've known Moxley, and I've probably said this on this podcast, I feel like as long as I've known who the fuck John Moxley is, even when he was Dean Ambrose, excuse me, he's been a face way too much. He's such a fucking natural heel, and he never gets to be a heel. Oh, okay, I don't, I don't necessarily say I disagree with that, but I don't think that it. If Moxley did it, then we have a, a WrestleMania 13 kind of scenario where we got a double turn going. Right. I don't necessarily think that you don't have Kenny Omega, and this is all fantasy booking from this point on. I don't think you have Kenny Omega as the cleaner, a heelish cleaner or tweener cleaner, whatever you want to call it, going against a tweener, heelish John Moxley. You know what I'm saying? The match itself, I think, would be great. I just don't think that the storyline kind of makes sense. The way they're going about it at this point kind of makes more sense. We waited a year for Moxley and Omega to come back around, and now we're here. I'm okay with Dude, it. Dude, and they straight up said we haven't we we have a zero zero record, right? Like we had that. Good match, point. Great insane. point. Great point. I love the fact that, and this is why I think I love Kenny Omega and the fact that. It heels have this certain mentality. Kenny Omega is not even putting that lights out match on the radar. That match never happened. We're zero and zero. Even though in reality, 
Moxley won that match. We all watched it. That was a year ago at full gear. Kenny Omega is basically telling you that match never happened. It wasn't a real match. It's not a regular match. Now we're going to have a regular match on December 2, and now we're going to see what's going to happen. Great heel mentality. And Moxley is still the best champion in all of wrestling. Like, this guy has had this belt for, you know, almost a year. This is one of the greatest title reigns I've ever seen. Like, this guy comes off like such a star, such a champion. Every promo is a spoiler. He told Eddie Kingston the week before, protect your neck. How did he win? He had him in, like, a choke. Like, dude, like, he did this with uh, uh, – Brian Jake Cage. Hager. He said, "I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna pull your, I'm gonna pull your goddamn arm off your body." That's how he won. Like every promo is a spoiler. This guy comes across as real. He comes across as somebody that you may or may not want to invite into your home, right? If you do, make sure you got some alcohol. I mean, yeah, and you're exactly right. Great. Yes, this is one of the greatest title runs that we've seen. He defends it all the time. Uh, he defends it against. Everybody. All comers. Yeah. I mean, this is until Otis cashes in his money in the bank. Oh, wait. He got to take it from him. I say he ain't got it no more. Just That's so you know. going to do it for our three count. One, two, three. All right, Zach. So you did get a chance to watch NXT take over Chicago 2, right? I, it was Chicago 1. Or Chicago one, yes. Sorry. Yeah, and I'm flabbergasted that we didn't go. Um, the only match that I was not able to rewatch was the first match because I couldn't find it online, and I still refuse to give WWE any money. Uh, so I cannot comment on the Roderick Strong Eric Young match outside of memory, of which I have none. So, well, I've I've watched it a few times over the past few weeks because I've been trying to. Uh, get myself ready for the podcast because that's how devoted I am to the podcast. Uh, but I'll say that Roderick Strong versus Eric Young is actually really, really, really good. And I would give it a 3.0. Um, we're waiting for Jason to come back down. I think he's upstairs taking a piss. Zach, anything you want to talk about? Anything you want to talk is about he, here on the podcast while Jason's gone? I mean, we're still recording. Is he taking a piss or taking the piss? Because I feel like Zach Sabre Jr. is always accusing people of taking the piss. And I'll be goddamned if I sometimes don't wish that I was British. Not just because I could be so imperialistic and jingoistic, but I could have such great one-liners like taking the piss. So good. Yeah, that is a good one. You're not uh, imperialistic? Not at all, no. You don't think so? Um, Nope, I'm also not British, unfortunately. I would be, I'd probably be like way deeper in vagina. Jason's back. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck did I just walk into? We're just bullshitting around. Okay. Just, you know, on the podcast. <laughs> it's like, I'm gone two minutes all of a Jason. sudden. Back on, let me uh, take Zach, my Zach, style for a little Zach bit. has given, <laughs> what did you just say? I, I I would just like say anything in a British accent, and I'd get laid if that was the point. Well, that's true. Mm. That's what I say. They do have an advantage over us for I, sure. Jason Bell, yes, sir. <laughs> what kind of what kind of what that's kind of Australian? Story, what kind of, no on if you Australian got to ask a question. 
every time you finish a sentence? Oh, I'll do an Australian accent. <laughs> oh. This is going to be like the most racist fucking pod we've ever had. I have life. a friend who's Australian. Right. We're not racist. Oh, Jason. Yeah. Uh, what do you have? Roderick Strong against Eric Young? Uh, two and a half. I mean, this was, to me, standard curtain jerker um, match. It wasn't necessarily anything that stood out for either guy the right guy ends up going over in this scenario but by no means I thought this was anything more than what it really truly was was just a, something to get this thing started I like Roddy Strong don't get me wrong I, I liked him even before he became a part of the uh the undisputed era but this it just it felt like it was lacking something and I'm not sure what that something was, but Roddy Strong to me was is a way better heel than it, he probably is as a face, and I think that's probably has a lot to do with it. But neither here nor there, two and a half stars. Okay, I've never seen a Roderick Strong match that lasts ten minutes. That's not three stars or more. That's how much I like Roderick Strong. Roderick Strong versus Eric Young. Yeah, it was the curtain jerker. And, yeah, there's a bunch of good matches coming after this. But for a pay-per-view that's this high on my list, I think this is a worthy curtain jerker. I give it three stars. Okay. I mean, like what'd, I said, you, what'd you give it, Zach? I, I, didn't, I couldn't find it. Oh, that's right. That's right. So I didn't get a chance to watch it. All right. Well, let's move on to... A total deuce, <laughs> which is Tyler Bate versus Pete Dunn. In what, in our first year of the podcast, I think that some of us named this the match, match of the year. Jason, what do you give it? I'm giving it four stars. Um, it's going to be hard to kind of remake the magic they did the first time, but I really think they did a really good job are trying to make this happen a second time around. Um, Tyler Bate, obviously, coming in hot as the champion at the time, and to have Pete Dunn take it away from him in, I will not say the manner that he did, but it was really a, a, a match where you can kind of see Tyler Bate kind of losing the grip on the title slowly but surely where Pete Dunn has now taken back the, not taken back the mantle, but taken the mantle from him. Um, this is one of those ma- one of those matches where I thought we would see, you know, a Tyler Bate, Pete Dunn, three, four, five, and then obviously for pandemic reasons and other reasons, we're not probably seeing that anytime soon. But to keep this match separate from everything else, I'll give it four stars. It probably should be like three and a half, maybe three and a quarter. But ultimately, I I got caught up into it just for the fact of what happened beforehand and now leading up to this match where kind of Pete Dunn evens the score on this one. I'll give it four stars. Zach, I'll let you go. That sounds so incredibly low to me. Like I thought so much more of this match. Um, I straight up gave it four and three quarter and thought about giving it five. Like I love this match. I love that they were so equally matched. There was not any outright heel tactics from the bruiser weight. I love that these guys are so young and – like the entire uh, full sale audience or Chicago, actually Chicago, yeah. full sale, but that Chicago audience that all of these guys like were so invested in these guys 
who by all means they should not have been even aware of, let alone interested in. You know, like we had this WWE UK tournament uh, team at that time, but like these are like the smarkiest of the smarks, right? Like Chicago. <laughs> so like they knew who these guys were, and they were so behind them from the opening bell. And uh, I love the story of the match. It was not any like kind of heel bullshit. It was just these guys went at it, and Tyler Bate took a chance. At the very end, he went all for broke, and it's the kind of thing where you would say old school high risk maneuver, right? You know, it can make a match, and he did a high risk maneuver, and he did the tope con hero, and Pete Dunn sidestepped him, slammed him into the uh, mat, threw him in the ring, gave him his finisher, and that was the end of it. And I just thought it was so cool. Besides all of the near falls before that, and all of the fun spots, like I just, I thought this was like technical excellence right especially from the guys so young so i just thought so highly of it i couldn't agree more with zach i wrote down these scores two weeks ago whenever we were getting ready to do this uh i have not changed my score i have four and a three quarters uh i thought about giving it five it's an incredible match it's an incredible 17 minute match it's an incredible match if you don't even consider how young these guys are. It's a fun match that tells a story that starts off. I love the pacing of it. I love how Tyler Bates starts trying to do some cocky shit in front of Pete Dunn, like standing on his head, and Pete Dunn just starts smacking his fucking thighs down. I love this match. I've probably watched this match ten times. It's one of my favorite matches of all time. It's proof that you don't need to be big to tell a story. It's proof that you don't need to be big to, to be a great wrestler. And it's proof, if anything, it's the exception that proves the rule that shows that MJF is an outlier, that, are, and that these guys are outliers, and MJF is normal because MJF could not do a match like this. Tyler Bate was 21 when this match was filmed. 21 when this match occurred. 20 fucking one. And then two years later, he does the Walter match, which is a 44-minute slobber knocker. <laughs> 4.75 stars. I thought about giving it a five. I'm completely with you, Zach. It was incredible. Uh, next coming up, we have Asuka versus Nikki Cross versus Ruby Riot. Big fan of this match, too. I'll go first. I was a big fan of this match, too, and I gave it 3.5 stars. And the reason that I gave it an extra .5 is because Asuka, on her streak, pinned them both. And that's a great ending for a dominant champion. I gave it three and a half stars. Zach, what do you have? I had 3.25, so, like, yeah, super close. Like, I think I remember liking this match more when I watched it initially. Uh, but I really love that finish um, where Ruby Riot is pinning Nikki Cross and Asuka comes in with the knee and just blasts her and then pins both of them. That was the highlight of the match. But uh, Nikki Cross got a lot of offense. So did Ruby Riot. Like, they're both better than they seem in the main roster. Like, also Asuka. All three of these women are better than they seem. Um, so I do remember this match. Um, watching it the first time. Like you, I've. I haven't watched it 10 times, but that Pete Dunn-Tyler Bate match, that's probably the fifth time I've watched it. 
it's just fun to throw on every now and then. Um, it's just so fun. But uh, but yeah, like solid match, nothing crazy, uh, but it was memorable for that finish. Well, as a triple threat. Yeah, I was going to say the Bill Vaggy special. Um, Oscar Reynatera continues, obviously. I agree with Tubier on this one. It's three, for me, it's three and a quarter stars. Um, it's not like it, this was anything great. And I remember at the time where I was kind of like getting a little frustrated because now I'm like, okay, so now Oscar's beating two women at the same time, pinning them both at the same time. Don't get me wrong. That was probably the best part of the match. But now where do we go from here? So that to me was the the one thing I took away from it then. Now I'm looking at it where like, man, you know, where is this Oscar at? You know, I, I would love to see Oscar come back and be more of the dominant, you know, killer of the division versus the Oscar I see now, which is it's kind of the same thing, but you, you sprinkle in a little more comedy, but comedy is not my thing. We already know that. That's neither here nor there. At the end of the day... I agree. You're not funny. At the end of the day, I would just <laughs> sit here and say that it is a scenario where I was probably looking for a little more, didn't get it, but it wasn't the worst match of the night, three and a quarter. All right, let's move on to uh, Bobby Roode at the time versus Hideo Atami, a.k.a. Kenta, somebody who we've already spoken about today. Uh, Jason, I'll let you go first. This is for the belt. This is for the title, and... It's not a belt, it's a championship. Whatever. That's so, what I'm saying. I, I, so I, I'll say. call it what I want. That's what I'll, say. I'll say title because I like title myself, personally. Belt is not a problem. Um, Very underwhelmed, honestly, because... I get where we were trying to do with it, but the match itself never really translated, at least for me, to where I thought that uh, Kenta slash Hideo Itami had much of a chance. You had some good spots, but ultimately Bobby Roode goes over. I'm getting it three stars. I was just not that impressed, ultimately, where the build wasn't necessarily that good. The match was okay. But it really never translated as a quote-unquote takeover kind of match. It needed something. I couldn't tell you what it was then. I damn sure can't tell you what it is now. I just wasn't very impressed with it. And this is right in in Bobby Roode's reign of terror next to Oscar, where basically he was having great match time after time after time again. And then this one, to me, was the lowest part of his title reign, three stars. Zach, I'll let you go next. Um, I just don't think Kateo Atami ever got over in NXT the way that Kenta could, right? Uh, he had a tough time adjusting uh, stylistically. He also had a tough time with injury. It was probably the most disappointing NXT run that anybody coming from outside of NXT has ever had. Uh, you know, as far as like, you know, imagine if like Shinsuke Nakamura had gotten hurt and Mm-mm. his style didn't get over and his charisma didn't get over, right? Like, because Shinsuke was like, I mean, main eventing the Tokyo Dome, you know, and then he went to NXT where he's wrestling in front of 300 people, you know? Like, Kenta, not quite that level, but Kenta was a major star. And, yeah, I mean, this was like a solid match. I like the psychology of it. It was working Bobby Roode's shoulder the whole time, and then eventually, like, Kenta's ankle got hurt, so it's like, shoulder versus ankle like what's going to happen and the psychology played into it i especially loved whenever kenta 
um, got the GTS and Bobby rolled out of the ring. As soon as I saw that, I remembered, I was like, oh man, I remember that spot. Like it was like, as soon as it happened, it was like, you know, you rewatch these matches and like, oh, that like, you know, hit different and it was fun. Um, so, you know, solid four stars, um, definitely enjoyable, understandable that they put it on before this ladder match though. You know, it's, it's funny that the way that Zach was talking, I thought that he was going to give it three stars just like you, but he gave it four stars. I think I'm focusing less on Hideo Itami slash Kenta than you guys are, and I'm focusing more on Bobby Roode. As a guy who watched TNA back in 2010, 2011, when Beer Money had their crazy best-out-of-seven feud against the Motor City Machine Guns, I've always liked Bobby Roode a whole lot. To me, what a great name, by the way, for your money. I love that. (laughs) It is really good. I never thought that tag team would be actually good at this point, honestly. To me, this is peak Bobby Roode. I mean, Bobby Roode owns this match, and even Hideo Tommy does the thing where he sets up the glorious, you know. And Bobby Roode, who has that kind of jumping DDT, I forget what it's called. The glorious DDT. Okay. I loved this match. I'm describing it way different than Zach, even though I'm going to give it the exact same star rating. I gave it a four also. Uh, I I just think it's peak Bobby Roode. I don't think that that wrestler, as much much of a professional as he is, and also you have to give the crowd a lot of credit too. The crowd adds to it. I mean, it can't can't just be the guys in the ring. This crowd was on fire, and this is... I, you know what? I'll wait to say that, but I, <laughs> I'm I not going to say, I'm not going to agree with you on that. I know where you're going with it. I, I, I'm not going to agree. I gave it four stars also. Um, coming up next, coming up last, we have DIY versus the Authors of Pain in what might be the most iconic takeover. Well, it includes the most iconic takeover moment moments of all time which is when Ciampa turned on Gargano at the very end. Um, You know what, Zach? I'll let you go first. Now, listen. We're just talking about the match. Oh, yeah. That's the biggest problem is separating the match from the angle. Right. Because the angle uh, angle is 15 stars. (laughs) Yeah. The angle is peak. The angle is possibly, like, it's one of the greatest turns in pro wrestling history, and totally agree. From, of pro wrestling, what I've seen of it, totally agree. Uh, which is not in, inconsiderable, right? Yeah. Uh, so, um, the match itself, totally solid. A lot of fun spots. Um, you know, like these guys are both like AOP. Like, never really seemed to like do it for me, but they always seem to be great loyals to great tag teams right i don't know like some of my favorite tag team matches involve aop but i would never say aop is like some of my my favorite tag team if that makes sense like i don't know it's just like i would agree with that they're not a great tag team they just happen to be at the right place right time i would say that i mean war machine is like twice as good as aop agreed oh at least but yeah, for sure. AOP has been in some great tag team matches. War Machine has also been in two of my favorite tag team matches of all time. Right. I was going to say, especially yeah. on the brand. 
but yeah, like uh, I mean, oh, we'll overall, get there. like I gave this match. Like, if you just want to take the angle away, I would. I if you stopped it from the the bell ringing to bell ringing, I would have given it like four and a quarter stars. If you go from the bell ringing to the end of the show, five stars, right? Like, just because totally the story encapsulates the match. Like, this is Johnny not being able to defend the title, like, which is still playing on <laughs> to this day, right? This is him dragging down his best buddy, Tommaso Ciampa, who is uber confident and who reigns supreme on that brand. You know what I mean? Like, these, those stories are very well told. Um, so, but yeah, like, the match itself, totally cool ladder match. I grimaced at a couple spots, like, again, like, you rewatch some of these matches that you've seen before, and then you remember, like, certain spots, like Johnny taking that ladder to the chin, like, pushing Chomp out of the way mm-hmm. and taking that ladder right to the chin. Pretty Dude, rough. that shit ain't fake. That You can't work a spot like that. Like, he took that thing right to the mouth. Jason, um, what'd you give it? Well, thank you for giving me the out to, to say that nothing is perfect, because when I initially graded this, I graded from everything from when they come out the back to where the match physically ends. And I'm not talking in this scenario where the bell ends. I remember you telling me that a very long time ago that, and you said it a couple of weeks ago too. You were like, no, the match is it's from when they start coming out, when they start coming out encompassing, I'm talking entrance. I'm talking music. I'm talking the the whole shebang. Are you giving it a five? No, because you changed the rules. You said the match itself. No, the rules are whatever you want to give it. Okay, well then don't don't I would I put five down and I will stick to it just because that's the knee jerk reaction that I had coming away from it. You can't sit here and tell me that one of the greatest turns in professional wrestling history in the, let's just say in the last ten years. Hulk Hogan is always the one we always talk about, but this has got to be right fucking behind it. You didn't see it coming. That, to me, is a great swerve. It now plays into the fact of Johnny Gargano not be able to defend tiles. Now you're dragging Ciampa down. This could have been so much better if Ciampa never got hurt. We had to wait a year for the payoff, There's only- and the payoff was great. So you're giving it five. It's a five-star match. From start to finish, it was absolutely everything you could possibly ask for. And like I said then, and I'll say it now, I thought this Joker was over when the credits came up. I was like, okay, we can go to the bathroom. It was the first time they really used that as the setup. Where you had to wait to the very very last second. So now from this point on. Until it was Christian and Edge talking about something. Right. From this point on, I never walk away from NXT TakeOver without making sure the screen is completely black with no words to it. That, to me, is absolutely close to being perfect as humanly possible. This is a five-star match. I gave it four and a half. Um, obviously, it's, it's it's spectacular match. It's a crazy angle at the end. My favorite moment, it used to be the screensaver on my phone. It used to be my uh, Twitter, <laughs> Ursa, Ursa under, underscore Turbo. It used to be my Twitter, uh, Avi, which was just Champa just looking really sullen after he put 
Gargano through the table, which I just love so much. Uh, this is when I really fell in love with Ciampa, especially, because, you know, you're always going to gravitate towards the heels unless you're a little kid. Everybody likes, <laughs> everybody likes the heels better, right? I agree. I, I say, I'm a heel guy, totally. Dude, and Gargano's, like, work here where this is, like, the first time we start to see the, the glassy-eyed Gargano, and he's he's reaching toward his brother in arms. And oh, it's he incredible. Cannot, he cannot fathom the fact that this is the man that's actually attacking him, so he reaches out to him for protection. Right, what did I do wrong? Him. Dude, like, that is the moment. That I feel like that's the moment that I became, like, a Johnny Gargano mark. Like, I was always a fan of DIY, because who wouldn't be, right. right? They even made it into the the uh, homage to tag team history, right? right. Like, in the, yeah, in the DIY, did. or the, the FTR, like, uh, Young Bucks match, they did the meet in the middle. And but this is the day that I was like Johnny Gargano, man, like this guy rules. So so let me ask you guys this. So we're about what eighteen takeovers into it or something, give or take. I would say halfway. Um, is this the best one that we've seen? No, I still say Dallas. This is probably the at least for me. This is probably the first five star match that I've given. But from top to bottom, I think this is the first five star match given out of Ban from Ringside. From top to bottom, I still like Dallas better. Zach, what did do you we think? give it? I feel like I might have given. Did I give Sami Zayn and uh, Nakamura five stars? Let I me can't remember. I mean, let me flip back. Through. But see, that's what I'm saying. For me, Dallas is better because from top to bottom. And you threw, and I won't even say you threw in Sami Zayn versus Nakamura, but to me, that was one of those matches. You take that plus Bailey and Sasha as the uh, the tag team, or not the tag team, but the main event match. It's for me. It's just it's really going to be hard to kind of say that Chicago two is better than this card because, like I said, from top to bottom, I just. I think uh, Dallas is just better. Roddy Strong. And, Sasha was Brooklyn. No, I was going to say. Uh, Are you talking about the one that's Revival versus DIY and Nakamura versus Joe? No, I'm talking about uh, Sami Zayn and Nakamura was the the second or third match on this card. And I want to say Bailey and Sasha, I thought, was the, uh, it's the Oscar main event. Bailey. Oscar Bailey was. On Dallas, Bailey Sasha was Brooklyn. Uh, Oscar Bailey was Dallas, and then Finn Balor and Joe was. Those are both really good cards. But I, I I think this I think this is the best one. I think it might be for me too. I mean, if you consider from bell to bell, from the opening of the show to the ending of the show, when you get the DIY turn. And you also have Tyler Bate versus Pete Dunne, which was incredible. I, I guess I'm a little bit more bullish on uh, the Hideo Tommy versus Bobby Roode match than you are. You know, agree to disagree, but here we are. This is why we're watching them, right? And they are fun to watch. No, I was going to say it, it. This is one of those where I'm glad we get to watch this, especially after a week where I wasn't too impressed with NXT. It's good to see where we were versus kind of where we are. Let's look at what the – when is Survivor Series? 
your birthday's this week, my birthday's every, next week. It's every year. Hey, spoiler alert. Yeah, right. Thank, hey, year. thanks, asshole. Um, I thought it was the final week of uh, November. Whatever that final Sunday is. Um, I guess I guess my question with this one is, I guess Survivor Series needs to be more like it was. At least for me, I like to see Survivor Series more like it was, even if it was. You mean you mean like better? <laughs> well, that 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 goes with without saying. But, okay, um, so that was Chicago one. That was May twentieth, two thousand seventeen. Next, we have Brooklyn three. August 19th, 2017. So all y'all listeners out there, if Brooklyn you guys. Three. So Survivor Series is next week, so we can do an, an NXT, NXT takeover. takeover. So we'll do okay. Brooklyn 3 next week. So we're going to do Brooklyn 3 next week. If you guys want to watch along, listen along, we definitely invite that because as much fun as it is to hear us talk about stuff that you hadn't watched recently, it's going to be more fun. Uh, next it's going to be Andrade versus Gargano. It's going to be mm. Sanity versus the Authors of Pain. It's Alistair Black versus Hideo Tommy, Asuka versus Ember Moon, and Drew McIntyre versus Bobby Roode. Interesting. That's what we're looking at next week. Interesting. Uh, any other final thoughts on this NXT TakeOver? I, I think it's the best one. I understand where Jason says that Dallas is the best one. Not even going to argue that. For my money, this is the best one. I'll, I'll go this far. I I'm think not it's the best. I'm not going to die on the Dallas Hill because I think, I know for a fact, we're going to have, this is not going to be the Chicago, Dallas, it's not going to be either one as the GOAT of takeover. But our whole point of doing this We're going to find out. We're going to find, find out, out which is the best, best takeover, I just, right? Like I said, this is this is where we're going to start to So right to now we're at Chicago and Dallas, Dallas are the, being two the two best. And this is where we're going to start bumping heads. I'm figuring sooner or later we're all going to kind of come to a consensus of which is the best of the best. And I'm now we're starting to get guys that we're seeing in modern day, you know, Andrade, Drew McIntyre, guys along these lines that are still in play and we're getting ready to introduce them to the NXT universe. And that's where I think the fun is going to to kind of lie to see, especially with like Drew McIntyre. You're with, not having fun? Well, no, I'm having fun. I'm just saying I'm saying now for to look I mean, I where. It's fun to me. I, mean, I like <laughs> hanging out with my friends. But. Look at Kenta. Great example. This Kenta that I see on NXT is nowhere near the Kenta that I see on uh New Japan, and then to me, it's night and day. The Kenta in New Japan is the Kenta that's funny, and for me to say that anybody is funny in wrestling and I like it says volumes. Zach, any final thoughts? I mean, I'm looking forward to seeing more of these, and us us debating what takeover is the best is kind of like debating like which orgasm you ever had is the best. I mean, they're all pretty fucking. Good. I was gonna say ice cream, but Jesus Christ. <laughs> Hey, there's some birthdays this week. Uh, Kalisto is 34. (laughs) Prince Albert. Do you remember what Prince Albert's name was when he came back as the guy who toured through Asia? Oh, was it uh, Dick Piercing? No. (laughs) Um, God, now see, now I'm not even gonna be able to think about it. I was gonna say Tenzan. Is it? He's heating up. It's not Tenzan. That's That's so funny. (laughs) Dick Pearson, son of a bitch. Now I can't fucking concentrate. It was Tensai. 
Oh, I knew I was close. I only had it written down. I just knew it. <laughs> I liked him. Uh, Laparka is 55. MLW's Sun- coming back. Sunil Singh is 36. Tanahashi. He's got to be close to my age. Tell me, I'm, tell me I'm right. Tell me he's, tell me he's How older. How old are you? I'm not going. To, I'm not announcing my age on He's this. He's turning 44 this week. Son of a bitch! Disco and very close. Disco Inferno is 52, and these motherfuckers share my birthday. God, I hate you. You got some of the best motherfuckers. That Which share is your birthday. this Sunday. This Sunday is my birthday. Uh, Shima, mm-hmm. Tegan Knox. I is that Dakota Kai? <sighs> That's or, the I, one that keeps really tearing up her I, knee. I really can't tell. And. Uh, Macho Man Randy Savage. Bastard, I hate you. And Old Dirty Bastard. Got the double bastard, I hate you. I almost did the thing this week for our intro music where I just got the Jeopardy music and played it instead. Oh, you should have been. R.I.P. Alex Trebek. <laughs> Trophy story. I tried story. to come up. I tried to come up with an AKA for Alex Trebek. Me and Bo did. Couldn't come up with it. The best I could come up with was Alex Trebecky Lynch, but... You know, yeah. I'm a dude. R.I.P. Alex Trebek. He's he is really, I mean, next to Bob Barker, I think he's arguably the best TV game show. Oh host my god, of all time. I'm gonna shut down your fucking microphone. <laughs> Bob Barker is Price is Right. Yeah, but nobody's been there. Nobody has been as ubiquitous in our lifetime as Alex Trebek. He's been there since the very beginning. Am I right, Zach? Yeah, no, you're totally right. And I think uh, I heard they've been grooming Ken Jennings for the role, and I think that's the only acceptable replacement. Really? Uh, I hear they're also talking about George Stephanopoulos, which I heard he wanted oh, a woman you. to take over please, his role. Please, no. Is less cool. Maybe hey, everybody. I we know there's tons of podcasts to listen to, so we appreciate you guys listening to Alex ours. Trebek isn't that sexy, just for the record. Four. F&B Eatery. Check. For Bo Geesman. Check. For Jason Cornelius Bell. Konnichiwa, for bitches. For Two Beers, Zach Pullman. Check. For Tinder Mahal, who just walked down the stairs. I Son am- of a bitch. He should have been here for like two hours. Oh. Now he walks down at the end. Have, I am Bill Vega. Oh, yeah. Thanks for the <laughs> Check, Tinder. Check, Bill. I said I'm check for t- Two Beers. And everybody, boo the heat. Boo!